Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, the U.S. Olympic basketball team got things started, and that wasn't pretty. They were all over the map. I mean, they've got potential. There's no doubt about that. It's not like the team is a disaster. Now, ultimately, the results might be disastrous, but if they got the talent to compete. Australia, Spain, France look like the main challengers for medals and for the gold. Uh, maybe somebody else. I don't have a, a complete handle on the Olympic basketball picture, but I think those are the four along with the U.S. I'm looking at. Uh, U.S. and Spain, France and Australia. And the U.S. led France at halftime. Now, a terrible third quarter. They got behind. Durant got in foul trouble. Uh, but fourth quarter, they took the lead. Five minutes to go. They're up. Drew Holiday led them with 18 points. He had a bucket and... France had to call timeout, but man, did France right the ship. They finished the game on a 16-2 run. Multiple guys had good looks down the stretch and couldn't make shots. Lillard missed a big shot. Durant missed a shot. It goes on and on. So the U.S. loses. Now, there's 12 teams in this tournament, and it's a very forgiving format here in the first week. Eight of the 12 are going to advance to the quarterfinals. At that point, it's the NCAA basketball tournament. It's just single elimination. Two teams play, losers out, winner moves on. (coughs) Right now, though, it's group play. And the top two in every group advance, and two of the three third-place teams will advance. The U.S. has a run coming up on Wednesday. They better win that. And then they got the Czech Republic on Saturday to wrap up group play. So France should win the group. The U.S. should come in second. And then away we go from there. So... See how this plays out. Their 25-game win streak in the Olympics is over. They clearly have stretches where they look good, and they clearly have stretches where they don't. So who knows how this will play out. Probably they need to win five in a row to win the tournament now. They've used their mulligan. Uh, Realistically, maybe they split the next two, get into the quarterfinals, and then you got to win your last three to win the tournament because at that point you're in the 18th bracket, and it's, uh, it's NCAA style. All right, so we'll uh, we'll have more on that later in the show. Coming up, we've got uh, a couple of big stories here. Um, we got basketball coming up with the Jazz. David Locke joined us late in the show. Holiday weekend, so a lot of you. Um, well, if you're here on both Thursday Monday, thank you. I'll just say that. Thank you. <laughs> but I know a lot of people are stretching this out. But we had a really good conversation about the Jazz, and we're get to going to get to this coming up. Uh, what and it started with a question about the draft. And he's like, well, it's a close call, but he's leaning towards trading out of the draft and using that roster spot and that money to get a veteran. You know, are you going to be able to draft anyone who's going to help you win right away? Now, if you think you can get somebody, you know, like Rudy Gobert at 27, they're drafting 30. But you get Rudy Gobert at 27, if you have a chance to make that kind of pick, you better make the pick. So there's no absolutes here. But the Jazz have a championship window, and David's going to get into this. Uh, he and I have theories, and they're about 90% aligned. You know, Rudy's now 29. He's not a young guy anymore. His ability to move at his size is freakish. It is incredible. I mean, he's not Giannis, uh, but nobody's Giannis. Uh, but he's very mobile for a big guy, and it keys the defense, and it really makes things difficult. But he's got three to four more years left in his prime here. You know, 32, 33, if his mobility starts uh, lessening, that wouldn't be surprising if he doesn't move as well. Maybe he'll beat the odds. Maybe he'll be like Stockton. He'll be flying around at 35 and 36. Who knows? But I think for the sake of planning right now, you got to assume this is Rudy's championship window right now. And Donovan signed a five-year deal. Fifth year is at his option. So that's three to four years, depending on you know if he 
if it's not going well, uh, and Locke will get into this, then it's time to make a trade after three years, right? And start rebuilding uh, because Rudy's aging, and you got to move him when you have a chance to get something for him, and you can't let him get to free agency, yada yada. So we'll get into all of that coming up. I think it's pretty interesting, and then also Barry Trammell uh, is written in Oklahoma. First as a beat writer, now as a columnist, the paper in Oklahoma City, newsok.com online. Um, And we had a long conversation about where is the Big 12 going. He believes that it's, uh, you know, pretty much 80% done, that Oklahoma and Texas are going to end up in the SEC. So do the eight teams left, do they find a home in another league? Uh, West Virginia to the ACC, Kansas and Iowa State. Will the Big 10 take them? And Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. Uh, Kansas possibly, you know, who might the Pac-12 want? So there's all kinds of question marks. Or do the eight stay together, and do they bring on BYU and Houston and Memphis and Cincinnati, which could be risky for those teams to leave their homes and go to a league that could then fall apart if the other teams later get invites and move. So a lot to get into, but um, he really lays out the money. It's enormous. Uh, So we'll get to that. Barry Trammell coming up next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to replay most of a conversation I had with Barry Trammell on Thursday about where this is going with Texas and Oklahoma, and well, probably to the SEC. But then what does that mean for the remaining schools? Will the Pac-12 make a play for some of those schools? Will those schools make a play for BYU? The Utes and Cougars' futures could be tied to the dominoes that fall if Oklahoma and Texas go ahead and make this move. Um, here's Barry Trammell uh, from Oklahoma City. On 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Does the Big 12 stand together? I mean, Oklahoma and Texas, they're talking now, but is the money good enough that they're going to go? The money is, I think, you know, this is a two-sided decision. Does OU and Texas want to go? Does the SEC want them? I think uh, OU and Texas have decided to go. The money is too good. Uh, we're hearing, you know, the Big 12 payout is about $38 million a year the last, the last go-around. To each school, <laughs> we're hearing that it could you know, OU in Texas and the SEC could push it past sixty million a year, wow. twenty-two million dollars a year. You can't say no to that. I don't think. Um, so that means that the SEC say yes, and um, for the SEC, I think SEC teams make forty-four million a year. Uh, last time around, so sixteen million extra. Um, you know that's a lot of that's a lot of money to say no to. Texas A and M would say no to it because they don't want any part of Texas in the league with them. But does Missouri? Does does South Carolina? Can you know? Does any of those teams say no? Any of those schools say no? Seems like a long shot that they would say no. Seems like a long shot. So would, are the other – let's assume then that Oklahoma and Texas, for a 50% raise, decide to move. 
And by the way, a lot of people in America for a 50% raise would decide to move. So let's not throw too many stones at glass houses. So there's eight teams left in the Big 12 at that point. Do they all jump and try to find their own league, or do they stick together and say, let's find two, four more teams and keep plugging along? Because we got a, we got a good thing going here, and there still is a place for us. And there are going to be six conference champions, apparently, in this new playoff formula who get in. Oklahoma's been winning all the time. Now one of us is going to win, and we're going to elevate our program. I think your latter point is solid. I think Big 12 football could make a go of it with the 12-team format. No doubt about it. Um, I I just think financially it's going to be a hit, a major hit. Yeah. Because Oklahoma and Texas are such bell cows of the Big 12. And whatever the, whatever the payout is, whatever the contract is with Fox and ESPN, next time around it's going to be significantly less for a reduced conference. It won't fall down into the Mountain West or American Conference range, but it would not be anywhere near what the, what the other Power Five conferences are making. So I think the first option for those schools in Oklahoma State, a Tech, a Kansas, Kansas State, whoever, the first option would be landing somewhere else, and that's clearly the Pac-12. I think that's the only viable option. Um, and then you know, sort of sustaining the Big 12 would be plan B. You know, the question, you know, one of the things I worry about is, you know, where, are there going to be enough slots for everybody to land in? Baylor and TCU probably in bad shape. You said it well. Pac-12 is not going to take them. Um what would the ACC look at? Would the ACC, you know, would the ACC consider West Virginia? They're like the Pac-12 in that they're a little bit academic snobbery. But the ACC did take Louisville to replace Maryland about in 13 or 14. Louisville is not, you know, Oxford or Cambridge. So, you know, would they would they hold their nose and take West Virginia also? Um, I would hope so. I love the Mountaineers. I hope they have a good landing spot. That's my that's my biggest problem with all this. Is there's some schools I really like and um, and I'm really uh, respect and, and think a lot of that could get left out in the cold. Baylor, if something happens to Baylor, I don't really care. Baylor can't stay out of its own way. But Iowa State is nothing but a great school and a great. A bunch of people that really try hard, and they've turned their football into something special in the last few years. And you know they could get left out in the cold. And you know that's the kind of that's the thing I just hate. Uh, I think teams will get left out in the cold. This is uh, it's all collegial until it's not. And as soon as you start talking about twenty five and fifty percent raises, Iowa State, mm, good luck. You're going to get left out in the cold at that point. Yeah, um, you know the Big Ten. Will the Big Ten decide? Hey, we gotta we gotta get to sixteen. Kansas would seem like a sort of a natural for the Big Ten. They're a member of the American Associations of, of Universities, the AAU. That's a Big Ten sort of requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, Iowa State is also. Um, does I does the Big Ten want Iowa State and Iowa? Does Iowa want Iowa State in? 
Um, I can, the one good I can thing answer, is... I can answer that for you, Barry. <laughs> well, actually, you know what? I heard that they're a little more civilized than in places like Oklahoma and, and Utah, maybe. Oh, okay. I actually heard Iowa might be okay with Iowa State being in. I don't know if that's true, but I mm. heard that. One good thing is 10, 12 years ago when all we had the big realignment shuffle, it was all based on cable households. Mm-hmm. How many households have cable uh, in, in your geographic footprint? That's out the door. That doesn't matter anymore. Um, cable, the streaming is what matters now, and that means how many eyeballs care about your team. And Iowa State's got a good fan base, and um, just because they're in the state of Iowa doesn't really affect that. So uh, I think they would have a shot at the Big Ten if the Big Ten wanted to expand and wanted to go with AAU teams. Um, But you never know. So Kansas would be a solid Kansas basketball you know, that, that would be a, a screaming gold mine for whoever has KU. So I think Kansas will land somewhere solid, whether it's the PAC or the Big Ten. But anyway, uh, I, don't, I don't know about the Iowa States and the Kansas States and the West Virginias. So you think we're going to four 16-team conferences? Is everyone going to have to follow the SEC? Well, I don't, I don't necessarily think you have to. You know, Back back uh, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, it seemed like we needed to because it looked like that was going to be the pathway to a 14 playoff. Well, we got there anyway, and now we're going to 12. So conference alignment with the 12-team playoff really doesn't mean much. So the Big, 12, the Big 10, for instance, doesn't have to respond if the SEC goes 16. The... A, the ACC doesn't have to respond. The Pac-12 doesn't have to respond. Um, now, I think the Pac, you, you'd know more than me, but it seems like the Pac might be the most likely to expand because they've been sort of, what's the word, stagnant. Mm-hmm. They've been just sort of, you know, they've been left out of, of the playoff more often than not. Um, their revenues have not risen the way uh, they have in the in in some of the other conferences, so they might be interested in just shaking it up uh, from an athletics side. And as you said, the academic side is much different, and who knows what would happen there. But um, you don't have. I, I don't think we're necessarily going to four sixteens. Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing forcing that. I would say there's nothing forcing that. Yeah, I, I think the hard read in the Pac-12 here is they have a brand new commissioner. Presidents are, are turning over all the time. And I think the, well, I don't think, it's been well reported by multiple people that the previous commissioner um, had a very small circle. And he really didn't go beyond that circle. So now, whether it's people who didn't have a voice before who are now going to have a voice because a new commissioner is going to have a new circle and maybe a bigger circle, and just the inevitable turnover, there could be some new voices at the table in the Pac-12. Now, maybe the new voices 
came up through the old system. We'll just echo what the old voices said. But, you know, I don't know those people, and those people are new, and so that remains. And there's now new pressures on the system, right? The playoff changes, the size of these other league changes. What doesn't change is they're generating more money, and they're going to hire your coaches away if your coaches have success. Yeah. Let me ask you, what do you think of the, the Arizona schools, Utah and Colorado, those four? What would their impression be of of expansion and a little less connection with the West Coast schools? They don't like um, it at all. They're here for USC. USC is the biggest game of the year. They love having USC on campus. They sell a gazillion tickets, regardless of whether they're mediocre or good or great themselves. So they want that connection. I think so the that, okay. only way to handle it and I think the Pac-12 has to do this anyway because of the playoff, I think the Pac-12 is going to have to get rid of divisions. In this new format, with six conference champs in and then six, the next six highest-ranked teams in, the risk is you have a team in one division that is, say, 11-1 and and ranked, I don't know, seventh in the country. But in your other division, somebody's 8-4 and or 9-3. and and they pull an upset, you could knock yourself out of the playoff. Your champion wouldn't be good enough to get in, and the team that was good enough to get in just lost to this 8-4, and 9-3 and three team. They're going to drop like a rock and be out. You can't risk that. So I think what we might see, and I think this makes sense if they do go to 16, is four groups of four, and you have three permanent opponents, which would appeal to the California teams because they want to maintain those rivalries. They've tweaked the schedule now, so they still play every year, even though they're split between the North and South divisions. It would appeal to the Oregon and Washington schools because there are multiple rivalries there. In-state's a big deal, but that Oregon-Washington game is huge. It's a big rivalry. So maybe you just have three permanent opponents, and the other six you just rotate around the league. Would you still – would you have division – so you no. just uh, you'd have, have one thing, title game and you have a title game. What, what the Big Twelve has right now, the top two teams play. Top two teams. Well, that's which interesting. Which you would well, need yeah. because you would yeah. risk having two undefeated teams, right, or two one-loss teams that didn't play each other. And how do you really have a conference champion? And if you don't have a conference champion, what was the point of the conference? Well, the TV yeah. contracts were the point of the conference, but you know, on the field, you still need a champion. Well, that's well, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that would be. Um, yeah, that would be quite that would be quite uh, interesting. I tell you, the if if OU and Texas leave the Big Twelve, whoever is the top of the line remainder as far as what the Pac twelve sees, mm-hmm. and I think it'd probably be Oklahoma State and Kansas because of basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell you, they would be amenable to anything. I mean, they'd I mean they'd have their preferences, but they would. They would be they would be open to just about anything. Um, so uh, I think it's uh, I think it's uh, viable. Um, I really do. I just uh, I, I hope Oklahoma State. Just this speaking as a sixty year Oklahoman, I hope Oklahoma State has a good landing spot. And I can tell you, they've got a quality athletic program. They're widespread. You know, they're fourth, the third or fourth in NCAA championships among all schools um, behind Stanford, UCLA, and it might be third. Anyway, uh, so they've got, a, they've got a quality athletic department, and 
Um, great facilities, and I, I hope they have a I hope they have a landing spot. The thing that really um, is a huge question mark for me is how much will the networks pay for a pack sixteen? And how much more money will the other 12 get if they open their doors to Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, Kansas, you know, whoever well, it turns out to be? Yeah, uh, that's the biggest, that's the biggest but question. I think that's the biggest that, question. Yeah, I think the other thing that's happening here is you're right. The Big 12, if they do stick together, would be greatly diminished. So you've got CBS, Fox, and ABC slash ESPN. You've got three bidders chasing four big leagues. The Pac-12 ought to be worth more money, whether it's the Pac-12 or the Pac-16, simply because where do you go to get games? ABC ESPN has locked up the SEC and the ACC. So if you're the Pac-12 and if you're the Big Ten, you're like, well, guys, let's talk and bring your wallets and your checkbook and your gold card. It's a great point for this reason. You know, back in the... uh in the 2010-2011 turmoil, that became quite apparent is the networks wanted the Big 12 to survive when it looked mm-hmm. like it was going to implode 10 years ago. It wants as many conferences as possible. I mean... It's supply and the, demand. It's supply and demand. If, if, yeah, if the, if the Power Five had all banded together and sold their rights, that would have been the worst thing ever for the, for the networks. Because then they'd be facing an NFL situation mm-hmm. where they're just sort of at their mercy. They got no alternatives, yeah. and of course the NFL has the greatest, you know, television contracts of them all. So, um, so if we do get down to four major conferences, that would that absolutely would help the the Pac-12 with with TV negotiations, no doubt about it. And somebody like a Fox could come in and say, you know what, we can. We can show games all day and and uh, mm-hmm. get us a bunch of good good matchups and and uh, rival uh, some of these other games that that we're seeing. I as a just as a consumer of college football, one of my favorite things uh, on a regular basis is watching uh, Pac Pac uh, Pac twelve late night games. Come in from a game I covered, get home nine o'clock or something my time and. There's a there's a Pac-12 game kicking off, so I got to believe people all over all over America like to do that, and you know it, the Pac could literally go from you know for 13, 14 hours a day. So I think that's a marketing, I think that's a solid marketing uh, mechanism for the Pac. I'm the only one who thinks this, and I probably shouldn't say it on the radio because. <laughs> Lloyd, Lloyd is taping this he can play it and be an idiot forever but I've always thought that the Pac-12 should take Hawaii they should take Hawaii nobody in the Pac-12 likes playing those late night games you're talking about you get a late night game in Oregon and Washington in the fall and it's raining sideways it's miserable, it can be snowing in Utah and Colorado Hawaii would always play that late night game you only have to take them in football because they're in the Mountain West in football. They've put all their other sports in the Big West. So they will take less money because they're not supporting, the, they're not in for the whole, the whole deal. And they'll play the late night game because it's only 530 in Hawaii. <laughs> and you only have to send a football team. You don't have to send a tennis team or a volleyball team out there. 
But it messes yeah, well. with the whole it messes with the whole math of a sixteen team league because I do think there's something to saying, hey, we basically got four scheduling quads here, and Colorado, Utah, and the Arizona schools you play each other every year. The California schools play every each other every year. The four Northwest schools, if they bring in four Big Twelve teams, you play them every year, and that leaves you that's three league games. You got six more league games, and you've got twelve other teams. Well, you play a home-and-home home with six of them, then you play a home-and-home home with the other six. It's, it's pretty cut and dried. You know, it would, be a, it would be a bitter pill to swallow because you fans love having either USC or UCLA every year and beating them most of the time. And having grown up in Southern California and knowing season ticket holders at USC and UCLA, they're like, I hated going to Utah. I couldn't believe we lost that game. But I didn't mind seeing fill-in-the-blank rival, a UCLA fan. I didn't mind seeing USC going up there and lose. That was hilarious. <laughs> so, <laughs> let me ask you. Let me ask you. And this is talking to somebody in Salt Lake City. So this is basketball any kind of consideration in this discussion? No. <laughs> no. The money's gotten too Bas- big for football. And Utah had an awesome basketball tradition through Rick Majerus. I mean, they were in four Final Fours. I can't count the Sweet Sixteens they were in. Majerus did three in a row, and he did four in his decade. Jerry Pym, I think, did five in the late 70s and early 80s, and there were a slew of Sweet Sixteens. It was basically a 16 to 2014 tournament. When you get back to the 50s and 60s, the youths were literally good every decade. Every yeah. decade they were good. And right now, it's all about football. Chris Hill's retired now, but he's AD up there for 30 years. He was an assistant basketball coach briefly to Jerry Pym. And he was a high school basketball coach here. And then he, he worked for a nonprofit before he went up to the U.S. athletic director. And he's like, I'm a basketball guy. I can't believe how it's flipped on his head. But I'm not going to sit here and argue with you about football driving the bus. Football drives the bus. So... Basketball, no consideration. Yeah. Yeah. I, one other thing before I let you go, Barry. I am really um, curious about independence going forward. Because with this new 12-team playoff, Notre Dame ha- doesn't have to get in the ACC. They're like, we can get in the top 12 and get in this thing. BYU might be telling itself that. USC and Texas apparently have at least thought it. They haven't acted on it. But they've thought it. Do you think there's a chance we're going to see in the streaming universe more independence? Because why should a school that's got that big a fan base share that streaming money with anybody? Uh, It's a good point. And I can see, I don't think anybody's, you know, Brigham Young is not independent because it wants to be. It would rather be in a, in a major conference. Um, There's really yeah, I think Notre Dame, I'm sorry, Southern Cal and Texas, which is posturing. But so, so nobody, nobody does that willingly. But I do think independence might be a better path than a substandard conference. For instance, if Iowa State or West Virginia gets left out in the cold, they might be better off being an independent. And and um, then joining a you know, American conference or a uh, Mountain West or whatever the case may be. Brigham Young made that decision. It seems like a viable decision to me, um, and I think you might see that with somebody like a 
like a uh, a West Virginia or an Iowa State or somebody. Now, if you're Baylor or TCU, you're down there in Texas, you could hook up with Houston, uh, whoever else, that you might be better off in the American. I don't know. But independence could come back. It, you know, it, it almost independence almost died. I think at one point we were down to only Notre Dame as an independent, I think. And maybe a service academy. To, yeah. Yeah, now we're up to four or five, mm-hmm. you know? So um and so I think it's I think it's worth talking about. Um no doubt about it. I th- I think uh and then, you know, talking about Brigham Young, if the big if the big eight I call them the big eight it's a big 12, you know, those eight decide to try to band and stay together. They could do worse than adding Brigham Young. Um, to me, that would, that would be, you know, the, the Cougars have a great following. They have that kind of, you know, you talk about streaming. You don't, you don't worry about cable households with Brigham Young. You talk about uh, potential eyeballs on streaming. Brigham Young brings that in a big time way, so I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a uh, something you, you cast aside. I think that would be an option if they decided to try to stick around and stay together and bring in somebody like a Brigham Young. All right, there's Barry Trammell. When we come back, David Locke, stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Where do the Utah Jazz go from here? Draft coming up. Do they put all their eggs in a basket and try to win a championship in the next three or four years with uh, Donovan before his contract is up and with Rudy before, um, well, quite frankly, you know, he's in his early to mid-30s and maybe not quite as good as he was. Here's David Locke. And start off with the whole concept of super teams and what the Bucks did. Can that be replicated, whether it's by the Jazz or by the Nuggets or by the Mavericks or by the Pacers or whoever? Here's David Locke. So the super teams are becoming the way to build a team. And Durant and Irving try to go build one with the Nets. And the Clippers, right, It's uh, they put their team together. But the Bucks, old school, the draft, fine and value guys, a trade here or there, they win a championship. Are they a blip and an outlier? Or is there real hope, hope for flyover, mid to small market, cold weather teams? Well, I think Phoenix should be a part of this conversation. I mean, they're really the anomaly here, right? That's a sense so that they went from non-playoffs to finals. All right, I've got two answers for you. Nothing in a conversation between you and I is ever short-winded. So this is going to be long-winded, okay? Hit it. So, so let me give you the first take on the box, and I think this is really relevant to the Jets. When you look at ESPN or Basketball Reference or 538, and you look at a team during the season, and it gives you their percent to win a championship, right? Mm-hmm. What is it usually about? 22, 25, yeah. 30%, right? Yeah. So I really look at the Bucks as a team that could have won it two years ago, could have won it last year, 
and won it this year. Like you, there's no like hundred percent chance that you're going to win a title when you're a great team. There's like a 20% chance. And so they went on their run and they had a 20% chance to win the title. And the first year they ran into a Toronto team that matched up beautifully with them and they fell apart. The second year, they got derailed by various things. And this year, they didn't see Philadelphia, who to me was the team that could beat them. They had a perfect matchup, and they didn't have to see him. So I think there's a little bit, like from a Jazz standpoint, like we had about a 22% chance to win the title this year with the best record in the league. And so I think you might argue that you run it back pretty similarly for another 22% chance. Because somewhere along the way, if you take enough shots with 22% chance, the pop shot ball goes in. You even might make a shot at that little amusement park thing where the hoop is actually smaller than it looks. It, you know, when you actually chance. And the hoop for a championship is smaller than it looks. So that's the first thing. The second thing, are we good there? Can yep. I move on? Go All ahead. Right. So, so the second thing is I see the league in a, in a massive transformation that got stalled by the, con- the NBA TV contract blip that took place. And so what I mean by that is the NBA signed a collective bargaining agreement with tougher t- luxury tax rules, with, where if you're in the luxury tax, you actually can't sign certain types of players, really restrictive to building massive super teams. You can still get two or three stars, but you're not going to be able to build anything around it. What we have right now is for the first time since 1980, we have four champions in four years. Since 1980, since Magic. The last team to be the fourth team to win in four years that were different was Magic's Lakers in 1980. That's a long – I know that you think you're 32, DJ, but that's a long time ago, (laughs) 1980. So I think we're seeing a – and if you really think about it, had it not been for the TV blip where Durant goes and signs with the Warriors, if he had stayed in Oklahoma City, I could make a pretty good argument. We might have had six or seven champions in seven years right now. And I think that's a massive change in what the is going on in the NBA. This year you have nine or ten teams that are literally sitting here today thinking to themselves, gosh, we could have won this, right? Philadelphia thinks that. Brooklyn thinks that. Milwaukee won it. Phoenix thinks it. The Lakers think it. The Clippers think it. The Nuggets think it. The Jazz think it. The Mavericks are probably close to thinking it. The Warriors are going to think it next year. So I think there's the collective bargaining agreement that took place many years back before the new TV contract that if you took that that little TV contract blip that happened that allowed Durant to sign and you go back, we would have a completely different league for the last seven years. Last one. Are we good there? Yep. Okay. Last one is that the way the game is being played right now with the level of talent, like Devin Booker's like the 15th best player in the league, and he's capable of carrying you to a title. We just, he just basically proved it, right? Donovan Mitchell is what, the 20, 20th best player in the league? Maybe 13th, depending on your point of view? He's pretty outstanding. He can carry you to a playoff series win. So there are so many. What, what's Chris Middleton? Like, is he the 12th, 15th, 25th? Like, there's so much talent in this league right now that it allows you to have players that can literally carry you to win games and win playoff series. Heck, Brooke Lopez dropped 33 in a playoff game. I'm done now. I, I, I like a lot of that, but what I really like is that the blip in the TV contract that sent Durant to the Warriors. Yep. Mass a dramatic change in the sport. You might really be onto something there. And I think that's a change that jazz fans can wrap their arms around. Right. You know, if the title passes around, to your point, you have a 15 or a 20% chance of winning. So you keep your group together for three to five years and maybe you hit. 
but it's not as frustrating as watching the Lakers win all the time. So I think Jazz fans could embrace this on multiple levels. Uh, and the fact that the TV ratings, I can't really tell how good they were. I think there's a little bit of fudging with numbers here because last year's TV ratings were terrible. So 20, you know, up from last year, really. Yeah, they're still way down. Right. From, they're way down right. from two years ago. Right. Um, so highest share since 2012. Like, that's an interesting number, but it's masking the fact that people aren't watching TV. They're watching on different platforms. Oh, my gosh. That's the, that's the reason the ratings are going down. There's never been more video available. And it's easy to point at Amazon and Hulu and Netflix. But, my gosh, there are people out there, younger people, but there are people out there consuming an enormous amount of video on TikTok. I mean, it, it keeps fragmenting. I mean, if you watch, if you look at the numbers on YouTube of game, have you seen the numbers on like a jazz, like no. Mavericks game recap on YouTube? It's like 3 million, like the short and condensed version of the game. Mm-hmm. It's crazy numbers. So as everyone watches, maybe I should, maybe I should do something about that. <laughs> what do you have in mind? <laughs> maybe something. Okay. Tell us, tell us later then. Okay. Thank you. What's going to happen in the NBA draft? Are the Jazz going to trade up, trade back, trade out? Should we get worked up about this? Will there be a, a, a player there late who is, uh, even though we don't know who he is now, is going to excite us when we're seeing him play in the NBA three years from now? Um, I've watched a few players. I'm actually beginning to think that this draft is pretty deep. Uh, one of our draft experts on the Lockdown NBA draft had said to me um, on our mock draft that he had more than 30 first-round grades. And so that was interesting. I hadn't heard that before. Um, and then I watched a uh, kid Preston out of Ohio the other day. No, I kind of liked him a little bit. Like, it's interesting. He's not an elite athlete, but he moves well. He plays a pro game. Like, if you're taking that at 30, that's a worthwhile. Like, I think he could probably play 15 minutes a night. Um, so, and I watched, a, I think, Moody the other day. I thought he was all right. Kid out of West Virginia. I thought it was pretty good. So, like, I'm watching some guys, and I'm like, okay, I think these guys can probably play a little. Um, the, the next note on that I would have, though, from a jazz standpoint is I might rather use the money for my 30th pick of the draft on a Frank Kaminsky, right, who gave the Suns 12 really good minutes in game seven or game six of the NBA Finals. Like, I don't think there's anyone I'm going to be able to draft here who's going to be able to play in the second, third round, you know, second round conference finals or finals in the NBA playoffs next year. And so if I can use that money for kind of an established veteran who's now on the minimum or close to the minimum instead, and I just go acquire a few second-round draft picks for whatever pick I might need, like maybe I'm trading that second-round draft pick for the equivalent of P.J. Tucker, you know, when it's time to add that piece during the trade deadline, I think that's the move that makes a lot more sense in drafting a player. Well, let me rephrase that. makes more sense, but this is like a 55-45. And if you have a player you really like, who you think, you know, can contribute. But it's like, if you think about Desmond Bain last year, who was a really nice player and a great pick by Memphis, I just don't think he was playing in the second round. If Memphis had somehow got to the second round playoffs, I don't think he was playing anymore. Like, it just gets incrementally more difficult, and those players don't usually play. The Jazz have been a young team for so long, and I think people realize they've gotten older, but the truth is they have gotten older definitively, and they are in their championship window now, maybe they never get further in the second round. Maybe they win the next two championships. Whatever. We can argue about that. But Donovan Mitchell is signed for five years. Donovan has four years and then an option. And there are plenty of Jazz fans stressing about Donovan's future. I get that. Rudy is 29. 
In four years, he will be 33. The key to Rudy is, at his size, he moves unbelievably well. So I'm thinking for four years, the Jazz need to be all in on doing whatever they can do to win a championship. Because between Donovan's contract status and Rudy's age, four years is what they've got. After that, I got question marks everywhere. And they can't really be answered. People can obsess obsess about them. So can you elaborate a little bit on what... Because you seem to be going down that road when you just said, hey, get a veteran, don't get a a young guy and build for the future. Yes. (laughs) That's it, huh? I nailed it? You're right. Yeah, I think it's three years, not four, but yes. Okay. That that puts Rudy at 32, and if Donovan, well, here, says, here's why if Donovan goes full uh, James Harden, then yeah, three right. years, not four. It's three years because the next stage, if, you don't, if, you, if it's not working and it doesn't work and you're, it's not going to work, is you have to move both of them at the three-year mark so that you can acquire a million draft picks for your next stage as a franchise. That's the trajectory we're on. The trajectory is a three-year run, and then if you're close and it's all good, then you re-sign Don and you re-sign Rudy and you keep adding pieces and hopefully like, hey, it took Giannis and Chris Middleton eight years, right? Right. Um, and so, but if let's say, you know, it's not working out, the game's changed, whatever's happened, da, 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 then on year three, you have, you have to, you, this is just in general, this isn't the Jazz specifically, but franchises, this is what you do, right? Mm-hmm. You evaluate, and then when you realize, I mean, it's why the Blazers have walked this thing too long, right? The Blazers should not have held this roster together the way they did for as long as they did without making some sort of move in some capacity, and now they're stuck because they're in the middle of this. Like, are we still running it back with Dame, or are we actually moving Dame, which then means we're moving CJ, which means we're moving Nurkic, and probably the real question for them is, what they get for Nurkic and what they get for CJ, not what they get for Dame. Right? Like, if they're only getting Dame's draft picks, then it's hard to rebuild your franchise off that. If they can get a lot from those two guys also, then maybe they can, then it's time for them to just unload it. So, who can the Jazz get to fill in the gaps that they had when they lost four straight games to the Clippers and got bounced from the playoffs? Um, I think you're. So, I mean, let, I mean, I, so obviously, I think you, re-sign, you you try to really resign Mike, and then you just have to evaluate a little bit on where you think Joe Boyan Royce and Jordan are in the mix because those are just the pieces and what their value proposition is. Um, and they're you know when Duncan Robinson's being talked about at twenty three million and Joe's sitting at eleven, that value proposition's pretty good. When Royce O'Neal sitting at eight, like that value proposition's pretty good. So you you know you may decide that all the value propositions are good on those players, um, and then it's very hard to change your team. So then you're trying to maybe play, like I think the the shift you might make is if you look at what kind of Milwaukee and Phoenix did at the end of their bench, and like Milwaukee did it with Torrey Craig at the beginning of the year. That didn't uh, you have to be really careful because Torrey Craig was really unhappy in Milwaukee because he wasn't playing. That's why he ended up in Phoenix. Um, is you take the end of your bench, and instead of having what we've had the last few years, which is me and O'Neal, Elijah Hughes, Juwan Morgan, and guys that you're hoping are going to develop, and you're trying to hit on like 20% of them so that you can get a rotation player out of it for cheap, is you decide, I'm going to take Frank Kaminsky, Etwan Moore, Langston Galloway. I mean, names Bryn Forbes, like names that aren't really interesting, but in case of breaking case of emergency, they can really play. And that also probably lets you lessen the burden on Joe, a 30 year old Joe Ingles, a 30 year boy on a 30 year old Mike Conley during the regular season. So 
you know, who's sliding to the veteran minimum? What young player do you think actually might be able to play a little bit that comes in and is, you know, like is Frank Milikina got enough veteran experience that even though he really struggles with a shot, if you had to play him for 15 minutes a night or 20 minutes a night for a period of time while Mike's out because in Donovan's playing point guard, you'd actually be okay. Um, what veteran longtime 33, 34-year-old player is now a minimum salary player that's willing you know, to play us to play some role, and you know, I'll have to watch the market to see what happens on that. Um, this is not one I would do because we have Jordan Clarkson, but like Lou Williams will probably be a veteran minimum this year. What other veteran players um, along the way into becoming veteran minimums? Anybody in the NBA really set up to be excellent, especially in the West, but set up to be excellent next year? and dominate, or it's wide open. There are eight horses at the top of the stretch of the Kentucky Derby, and there are eight teams in the West, eight abreast, and good luck in a race to the finish. There are three teams that are set up to be that, and two of them have, and all three have massive injury problems. So Denver's set up that way, and Jamal Murray's likely out for the year. Clippers are set up that way, and maybe Kawhi Leonard's out for the year. And I think that the Warriors are set up that way. But what is Clay Thompson coming off an ACL and Achilles? So the answer to your question is that no one's set up that way. And the Lakers are just not. Like, we have to admit, like, LeBron is, like, he's awesome. But, like, the games played issue is real. So is LeBron. And they also have a, and the Lakers have a really tough roster building offseason. Now maybe they're going to pull it off somehow in some way, and they have a whole agency that's supporting them, so that helps them a great deal. But like, do they really want to re-sign Dennis Schroeder for eighteen million? And if he goes somewhere else, how are they replacing it? And what are they like? Their roster is not like very complete, which is why because they've been in the tax and they've been in these various things, and you can't. It's exactly where we started the conversation. Yeah. There was a moment in the NBA Finals in the celebration after Game 6 that really caught my eye. Giannis is at the microphone. The team is off to his right, and and uh, ABC ESPN reporter asks him something about the championship or whatever, and he turns to Chris Middleton, and he says, Chris, we did it. His voice, the, just the satisfaction, and they cut to Middleton, and the smile that he had on his face, looking back, that moment, so warm, so real, so fulfilling, whatever word you want to throw in there, it was all of those things. They were feeling what every Jazz fan wants to feel about the Jazz in a championship moment that every Jazz fan hopes is out there, and sooner not later. And I'm just wondering how much that resonates with players that they spent the eight years together, they took the beatings, the horrific defeats, and they got to the top of the mountain. Does the rest of the NBA absorb that? Old-timers, certainly the TNT crew, Barkley and Kenny the Jet Smith and those guys have been saying, "Don't you can't pick up and go, you got to stick and you got to fight. How, does the, how do the other 29 teams and the stars in the league hear that moment, or did they already turn it off and they went off to form another super team and they were texting their buddies about where they want to join up in two years? Well, I think what is going to matter here is if this happens again, right? So, Is it a one-off or a trend? Yeah, like is there just going to, you know, do the Clippers win the next title? And then it's not that they did it, but it's, you know, I don't know if that's a good example, but, you know, or if Denver won the next title with Jamal Murray and Jokic, then you have, then you suddenly have, you know, 
you have suddenly this the same phenomena happening another time. So it's just a question of whether the super, you know building a super team no longer becomes the answer. Like these players for a long time believed that the only way you win a title is you win a build a super team. And let's make sure that we're clear. James Worthy, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Byron Scott, super team. Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, Dennis Johnson, Bill Walton, super team. Julius Irving, Moses Malone, like Bobby Jones, Doug Collins, super team, right? Like those teams all had three, four Hall of Famers. This is not a new concept to this generation. It just happened to be the, you know, so this isn't new, right? Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, Tim Duncan, David Robinson, four Hall of Famers. All right, there's David Locke, radio voice of the jazz. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's time to welcome in Corbin Kafusi, offensive lineman for the San Francisco 49ers, a former BYU Cougar. Corbin, good morning. How you doing? Doing well. Corbin, you may not know this, but you are joining us. On the Smart Rain guest line, it's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought currently. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property. Concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation? Find out more at smartrain.net. I am curious, uh, what a long, strange trip you have found professional sports. (laughs) It, It has been a long, strange trip. So now you're with the Niners, and we remember you as on the defensive side, and now you are on the offensive side trying to make it as an offensive lineman. What have you had to have done as far as technique to your body, all that stuff, the difference between being on one side of the ball and now being on the other? Oh, you know, it's been a complete overhaul, to be honest. You know, body-wise, you know, I came in, when I first came into NFL as a defensive lineman, I was probably 270, 275, and now I'm around 330. I've been up to 350 before, so that was an overhaul. Technique is completely different. You know, offense is just a whole different side of the game, and so learning that has been, you know, it's it's been hard, but it's been really good. So how did this how did this happen? It seems like pretty late in your career to have what seems to me a radical change. You know, maybe maybe it's not. Maybe I'm just up in the night. How did this all play out for you? Yeah. So um, I was actually recruited to BYU to play offensive line, and so my first spring ball at BYU before I went on my my uh, service mission, I did as an offensive lineman because that's where my dad always wanted me to play. He's like, oh, it's better longevity and stuff, and so. It was never something that came out of the blue totally, but, you know, I ended up playing D-line, and then when I got it, after I got waived by the Saints, I was just working out, and my uh, my agent was like, you know, some teams would love to see you at offensive tackle, and I was like, oh, okay. You know, I had never really thought about going back to it, but I kind of shrugged it off, and then after a little bit, I was like, you know, I'll, whatever it takes to play, you know, I just love the game, so whatever it takes. So the average American male, I think, is like 5'9". So nobody can relate, or most folks cannot relate, to someone who is like you, 6'9". 275 is enormous, just for guys like us. And then they ask you to put on basically 50 to 75 pounds. It just seems so outrageous. What does a person need to do who already weighs 275 to put on that extra weight in order to play that? How do you go about that? 
yeah, to be honest, it's just you have to have discipline in your eating. And you think it's almost the opposite where it's like, oh, you don't have to have discipline at all because you're just going to eat everything. But (laughs) it takes a very strict schedule of eating to get to gain weight the way you want to. So I've heard people who've had to do that, and then Thurl Bailey uh, burned calories at a stunning amount, and he always said they were always on him to eat, to keep his weight up. You know, playing basketball, he just burned through so many calories, and his natural metabolism did it. He said it became a chore. It wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't something he looked forward to. It was, it was kind of work in a way. Is that how you find eating now? Do you, do you enjoy it, or is this like, this is like going to work? Oh, well, it's now, like, my body's kind of used to it, so I don't have to, like, continue to keep crazy amounts of calories. But, yeah, when your metabolism isn't quite there yet and it's still just burning everything, you know, when you're at a lighter weight, oh, eating becomes the hardest thing in the world. Yeah. And I remember, luckily, I had some experience with this when I went from basketball to football at BYU because I gained 40 pounds within that window. And, you know, I would always take these meals to classes and everyone would be like, wow, he's eating these nice meals during class. And I'm like <laughs> sitting there almost like tearing up because this is the fifth time I've eaten the exact same food and it just has no taste to me at all. And it's just you don't want to eat it, but you have to. So it's definitely a chore and it's work. So why the Niners? Uh, you know, the Niners, I'm, I just like – one, their offense. They have a great offense. I love Kyle Shanahan and everything he's done there. And just, I think it kind of fits my skill set. You know, they love to run off the ball. Their their tackles are offensive line and just great athletes. And so, I thought it would be a great fit for me. So, why do people see you as an offensive lineman? Whether it was your dad or whether it's these NFL teams, is it is it partly your size and your wingspan? Would You'd be avail- Would you be able just to push that rusher around the edge and send him looping 20 yards behind the quarterback? Yeah, to be honest, it's definitely that. It's the, the physical traits. Where it's, I have these, these long arms, you know, and, you know, from playing basketball and stuff, the footwork's there as well. And so it's just being able to put those all together is what you kind of look for in offensive linemen. And I, I won't lie, when I was a defensive lineman, I didn't give credit to the offensive line because, you know, you're just trying to beat them. But, being on the other side now, like these guys are freaky athletes, you know, to be the size that they are and to do what you have to do as an offensive lineman. Like you're the only two people on the field that work backwards are offensive linemen and defensive backs. And it takes an extreme amount of athleticism. And so, yeah, I, I was just grateful that I found a position that really, you know, complements the, the natural gifts and talents I've been given. So last summer we had the COVID thing, and it's still around, but last summer obviously was at the height. What's different as far as training and all that stuff and what you're going to expect when you get to camp as far as last year versus this year? I think already it's already been huge difference. I was able to go out to San Francisco, and we had basically a full OTAs out there. You know, some teams were didn't meet up. Some did a few weeks, whereas like I was out in San Francisco for 10 weeks. And it was great to be with the guys on the team. We had almost the entire team out there. And so working with them, getting to know guys, getting to actually walk through plays, like it already feels way better than it did last year. It feels way more normal. And so going into training camp, I'm just excited because, you know, it's going to have that normal feeling again. And we're going to get preseason games. So I'm excited. 
So what is the number one thing you have to do to make the roster, to get on in the field? What what are they pushing yet? I think, you know, there's definitely a lot of different things they're probably going to be looking for. But I think for me, it's it's going to be looking natural as I play. You know, when you're making a transition between positions, there's always that learning curve and you know, you look at guys and you like, okay, like he's still learning the position. And for me, I want to go in there and have have them not even think that I switched positions. You know, I just want it to look natural. Be like, oh, this guy can play. Like this guy plays offensive line instead of it being, uh, oh, like you know, he needs to keep developing. And so that's my goal. So you mentioned your father, Steve. Now everybody knows, or most people know, that he's a longtime coach at BYU, and then I think that before that at Utah. Uh, he stepped away a couple years ago. How's he spending his time these days? You know, he's good. He's uh, just finding other things to do, whether it be business, and he, he still does a little bit of training on the side for for uh, young kids or anyone that wants it. So that's all. It's kind of fun to see him get his, his fix in, his football fix. And so, yeah, he's just kind of keeping himself busy in those ways. You know, the name Kafusi for uh, generations of fans, both Utes and Cougars, it has resonated. Are there more Kafusis on the way? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I've got, of course, tons of cousins and whatnot. And then, like, even my, my brother's kids, and my, my little sister just had a baby boy. That's the, the further down the road generation. So, yeah, there's definitely there's always going to be Kafusis yeah. coming in. <laughs> That's for sure. So your one brother, Devin, went to BYU, and now he's at Utah. And you guys played, you and your brother played at BYU. So September 11th is the game. Where are your loyalties going to be? <laughs> you know, family first, of course. So, you know, I, I love BYU, and I had a great opportunity there, but definitely going to have to support Dev. And so it's, it's almost like, yes, it's hard, but it's also a win-win where it's like, oh, okay, like, I'm, I'm glad when each team does well because I have different reasons for them. And, uh, you know, we were so excited when Devin transferred because we knew that was going to be the best thing for him. So I'm excited to see how he does. I always figure with Kafusis, there's both red and blue in the co- closet. It's just like shape shifting or something. And you, you know, the, the Kafusis, they they are just comfortable. You, you'd make great spies. <laughs> no, it's true. I won't lie though. Growing up, we had some awkward family reunions. <laughs> half of us were blue, and half of our family were red, and just a lot of tension in the room. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like the Coveys now with uh, with Britain playing for uh, Utah. They have those BYU ties, but they have a, a they literally have blood on the Utah team. So I think you got to go in that direction, at least for the short term, anyway, right? Oh, absolutely, and it's so funny because. Britain's older brother was one of my best friends growing up, and I watched BYU games at his house every single week. And so, like to see them in red, I'm like, okay, like <laughs> you know what? That's that's what it takes. If the family's there, you got to stick with your family. Yeah, I agree. So you got you got Britain stories. Uh, we've we've heard a bunch of them. He's told some on himself. He's hilarious in interviews. You got Britain stories. <laughs> is him as a little ten year old running around the house or something? Oh my gosh, Britty was the he's like the entertainer of his family, and so like he's the one. Oh my gosh, like literally everything we do, we'd always make Britty do because he wanted to. So like we'd have him go into restaurants and just do these crazy dumb things and he had no fear doing it. Like, you know, he had no 
had no problem going in and just looking super awkward or super weird. And that's what we loved about this. It was like, he just had no fear in doing these things for a good laugh. So we, we touched on the Kafusi name. You know, it's a household name in football in the state of Utah, obviously. And it's been that way for a number of years. And then when you factor in your uh, your dad's uh, brothers and their, as you say, their cousins, and the name isn't going to be dying out anytime soon. And so then we have that the situation here where we saw that college players can make money off of whether it be their name, likeness, and image, and they're calling it and all that stuff. Uh, so the, my, my thought for you is that you guys are such big names in the state and another Kafusi's rolling off the assembly line. They have already got the name built in into the community. Do you think that, and your time has passed, so it won't be for you, but going forward, do you think that people, your cousins, whoever they might be, or nieces and nephews down the line, you think that that can maybe help them with name identity to maybe make some extra money there off the name of Kafusi since it's such a big name in our community? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm so glad that they finally passed that with, you know, NIL stuff because, the the window you know to capitalize on these things sometimes is big sometimes it's small but if there is a window you, you got to capitalize on it and so i'm excited for my cousins and anyone else that can to capitalize because i think there's just such an opportunity there and i think it's definitely there for them to take where you know and i like you said it, my time came and passed but it would have been nice to have that as an option to you know whether to help myself or the future to even help my family even more it just opens up a lot more doors and i think there's a lot more opportunity so as long as we're talking uh, image and likeness we got the name down the kafusi name very recognizable but i got to admit as i look at a bunch of photos here on my computer i might have picked you out as a saint you got the beard going at this point you're not the clean shaven guy we saw at byu but the jet shot with the hair down the shoulders you totally i would have walked by i would have walked by you and i wouldn't have known so what yeah. what's the niner look what are you going for oh well it's funny you ask because you know, I as soon as I finished that, even yeah, as soon as I finished that BYU, I hadn't cut my hair since. What? And then, yeah, and then once <laughs> my the whole I was allowed to grow a beard. I was like, you know, I can grow a beard. Like I got a pretty decent amount of like my beard grows in pretty thick, and so I grew out a beard. And I, and you know, switching the offensive line, I kind of wanted that rugged, almost Viking look, <laughs> and so I had hair down past my shoulders, big old beard, and just. Actually, last week, I decided, you know what, I'm going to change it up. It's about time for me to clean up the look. And so I cut off all my hair and shaved my beard down. Like, so now it's just scruff. But, yeah, now the, the Niner look is, is definitely like a clean-cut business look. So you're going to stay with that or you're going to let it grow again? You know, I think for now I'm going to stick with it. And, you know, I might, I might let it grow again, but who knows. But for now, I'm like... Ooh, I'm a, I kind of still have this feeling where it's all it's all business right now. Right. Well, you reserve the right to change your mind at all times. Go <laughs> go with a new yeah. look. You know, you get that feeling one day, and you just change everything. 
So I'm, I'm going to post the I'm going to post the three different uh, photos on Twitter and let people see all these looks. Back to that whole spy <laughs> thing. You got a whole nother career if you want it. You may not want it, but if you do, a six nine guy being a spy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? <laughs> all right. Well, Corbin, we will follow you. Uh, and and Jake, our producer, Yak, is a huge Niner fan. So basically, if there is even a trickle of news, we hear all about it. So uh, good luck to you in the coming season, and we'll see how this. Plays out for you now on the O-line. Clean-cut business look. Yes, sir. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag NBA. Gobert in on Durant. Nearly traveled. Hustling rebound. Over to Fournier. And he hits. Evan Fournier. Under a minute. Final seven seconds here. Lillard puts it up. Holiday. No. And that will do it. So France has beaten the United States in the first game in Pool A. Final score 83 to 76. I mean, you know, I think it's a group effort. You know, you, you always got somebody like Kevin Durant and, and Draymond Green who have been in this position before. I've been to the, I mean, the finals plenty of times and uh, been in situations like this. So, but we, we also have a team who's been through a lot of adversity. And I feel like we all kind of feel the disappointment and, and we all want to get back out there and, and play and prove ourselves and prove how good of a team we could be. That's Drew Holiday talking about the United States losing to France, 83-76. Some people can tell you what happened. Other people can tell you what's going to happen. Ever heard that before, Yuck? I think I'll borrow it right now. Evan Fournier, the legend, goes for 28 points. And let's face it, the USA got out-hustled down the stretch. They got out-shot down the stretch. They had the lead at halftime. Durant got in foul trouble in the third quarter, and they went from eight points up to six points down. It was a bad third quarter. But in the fourth quarter, USA was back in charge. They were up by seven in those final four or five minutes. All France, a 16-2 run. Gobert had 14 points, nine rebounds, but to play the game, he drove and threw this awkward-looking shot, and he missed, and a rebound got tipped out into the corner. But one team ran after the ball and made a diving save, and the other team watched while Fournier drained a three. And that was that. Now, it's group play. It's a very forgiving format. You get three games in pool play here, and at least two and maybe three teams are going to make it out of the group. So look for the U.S. to blow out. Iran on Wednesday. They're way better. Iran doesn't have all the pros, obviously, that France has. Uh, Nicholas Batum's also on that team. A lot of NBA guys on that team. And this could be the one where the tiebreaker can come down to a margin of victory in your three games. What's your plus-minus as a group? So, look for the USA to run them off the floor Wednesday. And, of course, it's on Peacock behind a paywall, so... If you have Comcast, though, you're good to go. You get Peacock with Comcast because it's owned by the same people. Luka Doncic goes for 48 points in Slovenia's 118-100 win over Argentina, tied for the second highest in Olympic history. So there you go. Olympic basketball. We'll see if the USA can... Well, they ought to get it together Wednesday. That's not the real test. Saturday, when they play the Czech Republic, that'll decide... uh, 
if they're sweating it out or if they're advancing easily. 8 of the 12 advance, so they're in pretty good shape there. Pelicans officially announced hiring a Phoenix Suns assistant, Willie Green, as their new head coach. He also worked with the Warriors as an assistant, so counting on that pedigree. Warriors, Suns, had a lot of success. Good to be with the Suns this past year. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. You know, just having a year I had last year, don't really need more motivation than that. And, um, you know, I just know the type of player I am, and uh, I don't think I, I showed that last year. And so, you know, I got a lot to prove. Um, so, you know what I mean? I just made sure I didn't leave any any doubt out there that that uh, I didn't do as much as I, I needed to do. That's Ezekiel Elliott. He did not have as good a year statistically a year ago. Now, there are reasons for that. There's a couple theories floating around. One, he's now taking a lot of punishment in the NFL, and he's slowing down a little bit. That's not the one he likes. I think the one he likes is, hey, they're going to have Dak Prescott back, and defenses won't be loaded up to stop him. He ran for 979 yards, which is not, not a bad total, but he'd averaged 1,400 yards the two years before that. And, of course, his rookie year, he had a 1,600-yard season. So... See if Ezekiel Elliott gets it back with Dak Prescott back at quarterback and a little more more of a threat in the passing game, opening things up for him. Arizona Cardinals star pass rusher Chandler Jones has requested a trade. He's been unhappy with his contract, missed the offseason as a result. Cardinals don't want to trade Jones, expect him to report to camp, which begins tomorrow for the Cardinals. If you don't report, well, then you can get fined. And Deshaun Watson didn't want to get fined, so he showed up on time. Under the NFL's new collective bargaining agreement, Teams can no longer forgive fines. Watson would have been fined $50,000 for every day he was absent from camp despite his desire to be traded and also having 22 active lawsuits against him alleging sexual assault and inappropriate behavior. You know the theory that when you trade a star player, this is true in the NFL, although it's more an NBA thing, but it's still true in the NFL. When you trade a star player, you don't get full value back. That's especially true if if your player has 22 active lawsuits against him. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. New Pac-12 Commissioner George Klavkov told ESPN on Friday his conference is not actively seeking new members, but is open to discussions with potential candidates. His quote, I consider the Pac-12 an exclusive club with a high barrier to entry. We love the schools and the teams we have today. We're not actively seeking to poach any teams from any conference, but we'd be foolish not to listen as schools call us. So basically he left everything in play there. Sucked up, sucked up to his... Uh, his new bosses, hey, we're an exclusive club. You're not out there soliciting, but realistically left the door open. I'm not sure if we want Oklahoma State and Texas Tech and Kansas, but hey, if they call us, we'd have to figure out who the fourth would be because those are the only three who really fit. Baylor, no chance. No chance. TCU, probably not. Doesn't carry all the baggage Baylor carries, but I just don't think private schools look that good to the Pac-12. And looking for research institutions and all that, Kansas is the only one that really fits academically. Now, athletically, do they need Oklahoma State and Texas Tech? As Barry Trammell told us, longtime reporter and now columnist in Oklahoma City, hey, makes you more valuable as a TV network. Now you can play in four-time windows. You can play those early games in the central time zone and then play late night on the west coast and play all day long 
So the Pac-12 is doing math, seeing how much value those schools bring, and then we'll have to see if, if they're coming. Oklahoma and Texas, the Big 12 Executive Committee, met with the presidents of Texas on Sunday amid speculation that two schools intend to leave for the SEC. The quote afterwards, my gosh, Bob Bowlesby, in a statement, yikes, just put on the boots and wait in, folks. The pen has to, the corral's got to be cleaned. The meeting was cordial, and the executive committee expressed a willingness to discuss proposals that would strengthen the conference and be mutually beneficial to OU and UT, as well as other member institutions of the conference. I expect we will continue our conversations in the days ahead and look forward to discussing thoughts, ideas, and concepts that may be of shared interest and impact. Yeah, man, that's why I put the waiters on it, go hey, all the way uh, up to the hip. PR people, I need you to craft something for me. Oh here. my gosh. Okay, so basically, Texas and Oklahoma get more than a full share. That's it. Got to find a way to give more money. One and a half shares. One and a half shares. But if you do the math, if you lose Oklahoma and Texas, what's the payout going to be? If you stay together, how much are they going to give you? And by the way, as soon as you're done with the executive committee meeting, then West Virginia calls the ACC, Kansas calls the Big Ten, Oklahoma State and Texas Tech call the Pac-12. What can we get if we come? And that's what it comes down to. How much money are we worth of you guys? How much money do we have to give Oklahoma and Texas to keep them to stay? Or do Oklahoma and Texas say we just need the prestige of the SEC? This is going on. It's always going to be like this. Barry, Barry Trammell laid out the money. Well, they're getting about $30 million and the SEC's getting about 44 and if they join them, then everybody gets a little over 60 Share and a half? Two shares? What does it take? Because they're calling ESPN, too, right now. Does our payday go down to $20 million a year? Does it go down to 15 Does it go down to 10 What if we had BYU? What if we had BYU in Houston? What if we had Houston and Memphis? What if we had BYU, Houston, Memphis, and Cincinnati? I mean, they're going through all the permutations. The ADs and the presidents are about to earn their money right now. They are running some numbers right now. Arizona State tight ends coach Adam Brenneman is on paid administrative leave amid an NCAA investigation of possible recruiting violations the university confirmed last night. So he thought that this was going to wait for the end of the season or at least late in the season? Eh, maybe not. Other coaches being looked at. Who else is going to go? Tight ends coach, you're a recruiter. Big time. Big time. So we'll see where this goes from Arizona State. This is uh, the beginning, not the end, I think most people expect. But what is the end? An excellent question. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Swing on a ground ball. Backhanded by Keebum. Coming to the plate. The throw. The tag. Safe. He's safe. And the Orioles have walked it off. Scores! The Orioles are celebrating right around first base. Teammate of his, Will Smith, hits a high fly ball to slight left center field. It is carrying. It is gone. A home run. Will Smith puts the Dodgers in front, three to two. Oh, Tani, right field. Okay, Yach, in the next segment, find the Twins broadcast because that's what we were given 
uh, on our feed for TV, and we played it night and day. Night and day. Let's see if I can find it. It is classic going back and forth. You can cut the two together. You don't need the whole thing, but oh my gosh. Yeah, the Minnesota announcers are a little less than excited. That was a 2-2 game in the sixth inning. Otani homered. The Angels got three in the ninth, and they won 6-2. Otani's got 35. That gives him three more homers than anybody else in the major leagues. Uh, You also heard in there Will Smith break a 2-2 tie for the Dodgers. His solo homer in the eighth. Dodgers beat the Rockies 3-2. Chris Taylor hit solo shots in the first and the fifth inning. Dodgers get the win. They keep pace with the Giants. Lamont Wade Jr. Homer twice to power the Giants to net a, yet another win. As their, uh, as their surprise season, their incredible season continues. They salvaged that game against the uh, against the Pittsburgh Pirates. The weirdest game of the day, Yankees and Red Sox. Domingo Herman is throwing a no-hitter. He is dealing through seven innings. And they're up four to nothing. But he gives up a leadoff double in the eighth. So they take him out. He's probably passed his pitch count and all that. And they go to the bullpen. And the bullpen was horrific. It was a disaster. And the Red Sox scored five times in the eighth inning. And they come back and beat the Yankees. So it goes from no-no headed into the eighth. Everyone in New York feeling good. And the Fenway crowd all down. Like, are we going to break this thing up? Or are we going to get no hit? And then the Yankee bullpen comes in and throws gas on that baby. And the Red Sox win the game with five in the eighth. You Darvish roughed up. Miami beats San Diego 9-3. Darvish falls to 7-5. and five. The Padres trading three prospects, apparently, to the Pirates. Sources tell multiple reporters. And the Padres trying to acquire Adam Frazier. So they get an all-star at Sanga Basement. Which is weird because the Padres have an all-star Sanga Basement. But Cronenworth can play first base. He can DH. I think there's a thought that he could play left field if he had to. He pitched in college at Michigan. He's played some shortstop. So he's an all-star second baseman, but jack of all trades. They'll find another spot for him in the lineup. They'll get his bat in the lineup. First base, I think, though, is the uh, is the plan right now. So Padres had a bat, and if they if this actually goes through, Frazier's 29. He signed for another year and a half. That will be an awesome infield. That'll be four bats in the infield, big time. With Manny Machado at third and Fernando Tatis Jr. at shortstop. Bees lost 10 to 6 to the Las Vegas Aviators. Same two teams square off again. Smith's ballpark. Get your tickets at SLBs.com. Coverage begins at 6.15 here on the zone. Hashtag RSL. Real Salt Lake beats Colorado Rapids 3-0. The first goal, an own goal. Horrific at the feet of Yarbrough. I watched it happen and I couldn't believe it was happening. He looked up. Fender played the ball back to him. He looked up, it trickled off his feet, threw his legs into the goal. He ran around, tried to save it, almost got there, but the whole ball got all the way over the line and it was a gift. And then Bobby Wood with a great goal on the counterattack. 
Rubio Rubin came off the bench and matched him with a nice goal late. And that's it. RSL with the win over Colorado. They jump into seventh place. They're only five points out of third place. And those four draws at home have cost them eight points. The loss at home to San Jose is driving them nuts. Shouldn't have happened. Well, and the loss to LAFC probably at home shouldn't have happened either. It's easy to play woulda, coulda, shoulda, and pull five points back. And you can pull more than that. But they're in seventh, not in third. So that's the way it is. And RSL hitting the road now. Three games. And the first one's the easiest one. That's the one they got to get against the Dynamo. They got a lot of depth now. Menendez made his debut. He looks sharp on the ball. Nutmegging guys. Blown by. He just, he wants to turn and take guys on one-on-one. You want the ball at his feet. It's exciting. You don't know what's going to happen. And every coach is going to be saying there's got to be a second defender off the shoulder. Cannot leave guys one-on-one on an island against this, this guy. So it'll be Houston, L.A., the Galaxy, and then Portland. Three games on the road in eight days starting next Saturday in Houston. And Houston should be the easiest of those three games. But they got the depth to rotate through guys and multiple guys for positions. So it's not like that'll be helpless in the next two. But the first one is the one they really need to get. Team USA beat Jamaica. 1-0 is now the scoreline. That's it. They played four games in the Gold Cup, and they've won three of them. 1-0. They beat Martinique 6-1. But everybody else won now 83rd minute before they got that goal to beat Jamaica. They're on to the semifinals to face Qatar on Thursday. What is trending? Brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There is no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com, host of the podcast of champions at 8.05. We'll look at the Pac-12 Media Day, see what he thinks of the potential expansion targets with Oklahoma and Texas flirting, or more than that, with the SEC. Steve Cleveland, DJ and PK's Basketball Insider here at 9 o'clock to talk draft and to talk about locks theory. And we just replayed that for you this morning. If you missed it on Thursday, it's up at 1280thezone.com along with every hour of every show and all the interviews pulled out so you can listen to whatever you want at 1280thezone.com or wherever you get podcasts. But David Locke, I ran the theory by him that they've got four years and the only thing he said is, yeah, uh, three. With Donovan... And with Rudy Gobert, they might have more than three. You have to see how it plays out. I mean, if you're trying to repeat as defending champs after three, maybe everybody's got a different attitude. But they got a plan. they got to be all in the next three years. So do you want to draft a rookie? Is there someone who's really going to help you in the playoffs in the next three years? Or do you want to use that roster spot and that little bit of salary to go get one more veteran who can come off the bench and, and help you with one matchup in a tight spot in a series? We'll run all that by Steve Cleveland at 9 o'clock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. The commissioner of the Mountain West Conference, Craig Thompson. And when I talk to the football players, I'm going to say, guys, I understand it. You're American. It's your God-given right. You choose. Vaccinate. Don't vaccinate. But if you do not vaccinate, there is a cause and effect. There will be consequences. You will test. You will contact trace. You know, the coaches were even talking to the point that uh, I've got this player who's not vaccinated. Maybe I'll run him with threes and a four.
course because I don't know if he'll be good to go Saturday. And I got a guy who's a half step slower and two inches shorter, but he's vaccinated and I know he'll be able to play. So, son, jump up there and run with the ones and twos because you're on the plane. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by SNS Roofing. SNS Roofing is your locally owned roof repair expert. For a free quote and all your roofing needs, call SNS Roofing. Question of the morning. Rudy Gobert in France beat the USA in the Olympic opener for both teams. Your reaction? Mary Ann says USA actually looked like the Jazz in the last few games of the playoffs. Like, you knew they have the talent, but they didn't pull it together. Gave up a 16-2 run with a game on the line. Marianne, I see why you see parallels. Michael says the USA team has no heart. They're a bunch of prima donnas who don't care about their country. It's one basketball game. I mean, they'd won 25 in a row. Did they stop caring about their country since 2016? Nicholas says USA basketball team sucks this year! Exclamation point. Once I saw Draymond Green was on the team, I knew they weren't going to be good. Actually, Nicholas, Draymond Green is the kind of guy they need on the team. I get the logic of putting him on the team. They don't need a dozen of the highest scores, guys who can just light it up. And there's one basketball, everybody can't shoot it. So... You need someone who defends and rebounds, and you need someone who's a versatile defender because you are certainly going to have to chase five guys around the three-point line in the international game. So, without question, I, I get why they got Draymond on the train team. That wasn't, that wasn't a red flag for me when I saw that. Denise, too bad Rudy didn't play that well in the last three games of the playoffs. Jazz fans are seeing all kinds of parallels here. Although they're pulling for Rudy, Martin says, go Rudy. I can't root for France against the USA. I could root for France in all the other games. I'm hardwired to root for the USA. Adele, they had like four open shots to win it at the end of the game, and they bricked each of them. And they actually missed their last nine shots, five on one possession in a 21-second span. And the right guys had shots. Lillard had a look. And Duran had a look. A little more pressure there. Dominique is probably on to something here. NBA has become a spectacle of easy scoring because crowds demand high-scoring games. International basketball is much more competitive and less showboating. My son and I are betting the USA won't even make it out of round one. Okay, I was with you there for a while, Dominique. But then you lost me at the end. This is a forgiving format. There's 12 teams. There's three groups of four. The top two in every group advance and two of the three third-place teams advance. That's pretty forgiving. The U.S. has its problems and they have their flaws, but they ought to beat Iran on Wednesday. And Iran ought to finish fourth. So I don't think they're going to lose to the Czech Republic next Saturday, but even if they do, two of the three third-place teams are going to advance. So look for the USA to pour it on Wednesday and win big. Scott, send them home. They don't care. I think they care. 
All we hear about these elite players is they're competitive. They want to beat their grandma checkers. Score is being kept. It's the Olympics. They don't want to lose. Now, the they don't care part is interesting because it's a definitive statement. I don't believe it. However, Scott, if you attacked one word onto the end of it, just one word, they don't care, comma, enough. Uh, Okay, now you open the door to being right, Scott. You're one word away, Scott. And this doesn't just go to the 12 guys who are there. This goes to the whole pool of players. If they cared more, if they cared as much as players on other teams, and we've heard Joe on this show talk about how much he cares. And we've talked about the clip, and it's out there if you want to see it, where Luka Doncic is asked, if you had to pick, do you want an NBA title or Olympic gold? And he giggles, and he pauses, and he kind of says, well, Olympic gold. And then he giggles again, and he goes, if I get Olympic gold, I want both. The two don't have to be mutually exclusive. And I think more and more it's occurring to international players that they aren't. The timing didn't work out for Antetokounmpo this year. He couldn't help Greece qualify because he's in the NBA playoffs. But when they get back in the regular cycle, the qualifying won't happen the same summer. It'll happen the year before, and he'll be able to do it. So I think what you see with the U.S. is how many players are older and don't want to play again? How many players are willing to play in the Olympics but aren't willing to play in what used to be the World Championship and is now called the World Cup of Basketball. Because one of the quotes after the game, Evan Fournier says, um, they've got good players, but we can be better as a team. I'm paraphrasing there, but that's the gist of his quote. And that goes, here it is. They are better individually, but they can be beaten as a team. Fournier knows the French guys played together in the World Cup. They played together in most cases in the last Olympics. Joe talked about how he's now, with some of his teammates, three or four Olympics deep. And they don't skip cycles. They don't do it. And the U.S. does. Now we've got more players. And our guys care. Guys like to go to the Olympics and win the gold because a lot of players have done it. But do they want to stay together for multiple cycles? They get later in their career, you know, LeBron's not on this team. Chris Paul is not on this team. Steph Curry is not on this team. And we can go down a list of guys who would help the U.S. if they were on this team. So they don't care. That's too harsh. Uh, They don't care enough to play multiple summers. Uh, You're on to something there. And that's the advantage that the Australians, the French, the Spanish can use to close the gap is they play together and not just for one summer, depending on their ages, for multiple summers, and in the case of Joe, over a decade. And that pays off. That matters. It helps. You get used to the rules. You get used to your teammates. You get used to how you play as a group. I suppose the U.S. being thrown together like an all-star team. Now, the U.S. got away from that after they lost three times in Athens and took home the bronze medal. They got a group of guys together, and it wasn't exactly, but it was largely the same team from what was then the World Championship into the 2008 Olympics, and they cruised. And this year, we know a lot of guys chose not to go. 
And obviously with the pandemic, I mean, this is, this is weird. I mean, playing the Olympics in an odd year, so <laughs> you know this is weird. But to the bigger picture, our guy's going to play together for two or three summers. And the U.S. has so much talent, I just don't see guys playing together the way Joe has played with some of his Australian teammates. But Evan Fournier went right to it. They are better individually, but they can be beaten as a team. And they've been beaten once. If they win the next five games, it's a footnote and it won't matter. Sure, it ended a 25-game win, Olympic win streak. You don't get anything for that. You win your next five games, and literally everybody's singing this, if we win the next five games, we win the gold medal. That's true for everybody, and it's still true for the U.S., because this is a forgiving format, and that one loss doesn't sink everything. But nobody's intimidated playing the U.S. right now. France isn't. You know Australia isn't going to be if they run into the Australians. All right, DJ and PK coming up next. Ryan Abraham, USCFootball.com, host of the podcast of Champions. What does he think of Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC? What has he heard? What does he think of the Pac-12 adding teams like Oklahoma State and Texas Tech? How many of the remaining eight would look attractive to the Pac-12? What should the Pac-12 do now? And Media Day. Yuck! Media Day's tomorrow. It is here. We'll talk with Ryan about uh, how he expects the Pac-12 to shake out. We'll get to that next. DJ and PK, stay with us. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Zero Res. When you get the carpets cleaned, it's never just clean. It's Zero Res clean. Don't have it any other way. Just $33 per room clean plus a fourth room free. You deserve the best. You deserve Zero Res. Schedule with Zero Res today by calling them at 801-288-9376 or schedule online by searching for Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. All right, we got multiple things going on this morning. Just talked about the U.S. losing their Olympic opener. The other basketball news out there, Bleacher Report with a story. And these have been, uh, these items have been out there in different combinations. Bleacher Report has them all in one spot. Uh, they write the Utah Jazz are known to be one of the few teams actually searching to move playoff tested talent. Retaining Mike Conley is an offseason priority. You've heard that multiple times. Sources said, and the Jazz have held numerous discussions with teams around the league about offloading salary to create room for Conley and free agency. League personnel most often mention Joe Ingles as the Jazz wing to watch, and Boyan Bogdanovich and Royce O'Neal are also considered available for trade. As Utah narrows its focus towards building a contender around Donovan Mitchell, the Jazz are also open to discussing trading their number 30 pick, sources said. Can they move favors? Can they move the first round pick? Wouldn't surprise me if either of those things happen. We'll talk about those things later in the show. Right now, it's time to welcome in Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com, host of the podcast of Champions and a frequent guest here on the show during the college football season or whenever college football starts making news. And right now, well, it's both things. Here comes Media Day, and here comes another round of realignment speculation. Ryan, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, it's uh, sort of a weird off season with the summer and all that stuff. Now it's just uh, we're hitting the ground running uh, with Pac-12 Media Day tomorrow and all this Texas and Oklahoma news going, changing the whole sport. So Oklahoma and Texas, what have you heard in Los Angeles? How does this reverberate? What do you know? Yeah, it's funny because you know you were looking forward to uh, the new leadership 
in the Pac-12, George Glayovkov coming in, Larry Scott uh, going out, and you know want to make as big of a splash as you can. There's the media rights deal coming up in a couple of years and all that. And this is just news that can dwarf anything that the Pac-12 is going to do. Um, I mean, we should find out probably today or tomorrow that Texas, Oklahoma, sending in this letter and uh, you know expressing their interest in leaving the conference. And you know, looks like it's going to be the SEC, but I think it just puts the Pac-12 on notice that uh, it's it's good in one aspect that one of your rivals, the the Big 12, will be gutted, and and you're going to move up the hierarchy no matter what. The Big 12 actually gets a pretty good payday for each of their schools. But what are you going to do to try to compete uh, in this new landscape? So it's it's definitely changed the game, and it's not going to make it easy for George Klavkov to try to uh, put his stamp on the West Coast uh, football. There's, there's some advantages, but there's going to be some disadvantages. Uh, the good thing, though, is that the Big 12 won't be as a threat anymore. It looks like that league's probably going to dissolve, and maybe there's some pieces there that the Pac-12 can pick up. So two things jump out at me right away. It's always two things. It's never one or three with me. It's always two. there's probably three things that should jump out at me, but my brain can't handle that. Just can't do it. I'm limited. The first thing is that, well, to your point, what pieces do they want to pick up, right? Well, the pieces they wanted, the pieces they wanted a decade ago when they took Colorado and Utah, they wanted Oklahoma and Texas. They're the biggest brand names. They bring the most value, and now they can't have those. The pieces they were willing to accept to get Oklahoma and Texas, which have some value, but not enormous value, Oklahoma State football has had a lot of success. They've poured a lot of resources into their program, even when they have coaches change going forward. You know, I can see Oklahoma State being good. Texas Tech, I suppose, uh, man, I just don't see Baylor. I'm not sure I see TCU. I really don't see Baylor. Uh, Kansas and Kansas State, Iowa State, West Virginia's too far away. I don't see four teams to add to get to 16. Maybe I see two, but I just don't know that they have the academic profile outside of Kansas that the league wants, and Kansas is probably going to try and cut a deal with the Big Ten. So... It's not clear to me that there's anything obvious there, but this, to your other point, with the Big 12 gutted, now you've got three networks bidding for four leagues, and Disney, the ABC-ESPN combo, already has the SEC and the ACC locked up. So the pressure for CBS and Fox, if you're going to be in college football, you've got to cut a deal with the Big 10 or you've got to cut a deal with the Pac-12. Historically, obviously, Fox has had its fingers in different ways, but they've, they've cut deals with both schools. CBS, are they going to want in after losing that SEC game? I think so. I think the Pac-12 is worth more money just because of supply and demand. Yeah, I think the ESPN has made it clear what they're going after. College football playoff, the SEC, you know, the ACC, and they got a great deal there. That's a pretty bad TV contract, just like the Pac-12 signed uh, years ago. But that might be a good opportunity, like you said, for the Pac-12 with either CBS or Fox. Um, you just hope that those, those networks aren't going to de-emphasize things if ESPN has a monopoly on the best conference. And, you know, basically they have March Madness and, you know, the back in the day, the Big East and the ACC, are they all that stuff? Um, will the others, will it matter if you have some of the other leagues? I think it will. I think CBS and, and Fox are still going to be playing heavily in that space, and it could be good for the Pac-12 now that, you know, the Big 12 wouldn't be a, a factor. I think the, you know, there's only a couple of AAU schools in the Big 12. Uh, maybe it's an Oklahoma State and a Texas Tech that, that makes sense to, to come over, or maybe it's better just to stay at 12. You don't want to add um, schools just for the sake of, of adding them if it's not going to bring value. And 
who knows, maybe you know, football drives this bus. Is there going to be football uh, only deals that are done where maybe you know you you know the water polo teams aren't going to have to go to Lubbock or whatever, but you could you know have football relationships with those in the Pac-12. So I, I think for George Klyakov, everything has to be on the table. What's going to maximize uh, your exposure, revenue, t- you know, for future TV deals, all of that for the Pac-12, and that's what you have to do. Not just expanding for the sake of expanding, because you're right. There's not obvious fits. It'd be awesome to get Oklahoma or Texas. I mean, that's what. Uh, Larry, you know, Larry Scott tried, and you end up getting Colorado. So it was basically a paper cut to the, the Big Twelve. Now this is, uh, you know, you've cut the, you know, femur artery, and there, there's no way that the conference can survive without the two biggest brands. So there's, there's going to be schools there, and you maybe get them on the cheap because they're, they're going to be desperate. I mean, that TV deal, I think they're making like 38 million a year, and it's probably going to get half of that without Oklahoma and Texas. So it's. It's going to be it's crazy right now. The college football landscape is going to be changing dramatically, and be interesting to hear what George Klayovkov has to say uh, tomorrow at Pac-12 Media Day. Dr. Ryan Abraham performing surgery. Metaphors and similes, that's where it's at. Good work, Ryan. You nailed it. <laughs> so USC, we've heard this stuff about independence. Is there anything to that, or is that just uh, positioning and posing, And but they're not really going to do it? So I think similar to what, George Klyovkov came in, and Larry Scott screwed up a lot of stuff, right? And I think when you heard him speak, he was addressing a lot of the problems and things that Larry Scott didn't do. I think Mike Bone did the exact same thing. They've had just incompetent leadership with former football players running the athletic department. And he, you know, he came on my podcast last year, and uh, I asked him that question. He said everything's on the table. It sort of reverberated through the, you know, the sports world. Um, but you know, recently he's come back and said, hey, he's happy with the Pac-12. Um, I feel like, you know, at this point, they, you know, they know they have power, especially seeing Texas and Oklahoma leave. If you're the biggest brand at the conference, it's clear the conference needs you more than you need the conference. It's just that way. Will, it, you know, will they be a, a bigger voice at the table? Will they have a bigger share of the pie? I think it just gives USC more options within the Pac-12. But there's also going to be suitors, you know, like there's been reports out there, what, you know, if, you know, the other conferences like the Big Ten or whatever could come in and try to get some of the bigger brands in the conference, too. So I think it gives USC some semblance of power. But from, you know, everything we've heard, it sounds like they're, you know, want to go along with the Pac-12 and but have a, a larger voice in, in what, you know, what could happen. So I think George Klyovkov has to keep uh, your, you know, the bigger brands happy. I, I know before Larry Scott was just more about parity. It didn't matter if. You put Washington or Oregon or USC in a competitive disadvantage. You just wanted everyone to be happy. I don't think that's going to be the case with George Klayakov. You've got to keep the big brands happy. And I think they have to all work together to try to make the Pac-12 as strong as possible. And, and it's better for everyone if they're able to do that. But I think the days of parity and Oregon State's the same as UCLA. I think those days are over now. So turning to the actual football competition that is in front of us, the first taste of that is the preseason poll. Rank the six in the South for us. Ooh, good one. Um, so the the funny thing is Arizona State is such a wild card right now. They you know their tight ends coach was put on paid administrative mm-hmm. leave. Will any shoes drop between now and then? I th- I think USC. Utah and Arizona State are going to be the three favorites in the South. Utah adding the transfers and stuff. I think I still think it's going to be USC um, at the top, 
And I'm probably going to go Utah 2 and Arizona State 3. Uh, UCLA's, you know, they're the dark horse to me. I think they're they're knocking on the door. And uh, I, I like what Jetfish is doing, but I'll have to go Colorado uh, fifth, and then and and Jetfish and the and the Wildcats sixth, just because it's going to take them a little bit of time, and they're on a twelve game losing streak. It's not like the team was coming in and uh, on fire or anything. So I think just Carl Durrell had one year. Uh, this is Jetfish's first first go at it. He has an advantage that he did have an off season where Carl Durrell didn't. But I think that's kind of the order of way things could come down. But Arizona State could win the whole thing, or they could lose their head coach and and be completely out of it. So that's the that's the big wild card factor for me because I think they could be they're a really talented team. Uh, there's just so much uh, uncertainty going on around that program right now. And in the north, I still like Oregon. Um, you know that I, I I feel like they've almost separated themselves a little bit. I, Washington should be there, but I, there's something with Jimmy Lake. There. I'm I'm just not sure yet. But I think I'll go Washington uh, to there. Uh, I like what Cal's doing. Um, so I think, you know, they got Chase Garber's back, so I'll go Cal uh, at number three. Then it gets a little, you know, I'm not sure where they're going to go from there. I think, you know, Washington State uh, has some opportunities there. That Oregon State fifth and Stanford, I, it's, it kills me to do this because every time I count David Shaw out, uh, they come back and they, they have a great year. And, they, you know, they went 4-2 last year, but I just feel like this, it's just not the, – the wheels are coming off that train and, or that bus or whatever, and uh, – I think they're going to finish last in the in the North. I'm probably an idiot for saying that, but I'm, that's where I think Stanford's going to end up. You want to explain to people in Utah about this USC Stanford rivalry and what Stanford would think of a USC guy picking Stanford sixth? <laughs> oh yeah, they would hate that. Well, you know, they they have like 12 fans total, so it's not like there. I wouldn't get a whole lot of emails or phone calls or anything. But now there, it's funny. We do the conference, uh, the, the podcast of champions, and the Stanford fans are great, super smart. They're knowledgeable. There's just not that that many of them and they get on us, you know, uh, we, we thought they would be bad last year. They didn't even practice. They couldn't practice it at home. <laughs> they go, you know, and, and they come out and they, they win a bunch of games. It's just for me, just what David Shaw has done. They're just not recruiting at the same level. It seems like, you know, they're, they're getting a lot of guys transferring out of the program. Something just doesn't seem right. I don't think they're ever going to get rid of David Shaw. He's going to have to leave and go to the NFL network or something when he wants to. But yeah, for me, me picking them last, I'm going to get a lot of flack for that. <laughs> Okay, so I just asked you about the divisions, but I have a theory here. The 12-team playoff, I know it's not official, but it feels like it's coming. And if indeed it happens, then I think the divisions are done. And I think whether it's one 12-team uh, table or if they expand, you know, it's just 13, 14, 15, 16, wherever this thing goes. It ought to go to an even number, obviously. Uh, yeah. It'll just be one list. Because in the divisions, you risk an 8 and 4 9 and 3 team winning the division and then 25th ranked and winning the conference in one game and upsetting some team that's ranked 8th or 6th or 4th or whatever and knocking them down to 13th and knocking them out of the playoff and the 25th team yeah. not rising up and getting there so i think even though it looks like the Big 12 is on the verge of dissolving here, what will live on if it happens there is that the Big 12's championship game just matched the top two teams. I think that's where the Pac-12 has to go so that they don't have a team that, in terms of the playoff, is nothing, knocking out a team that is something. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And, and the good thing is, you know, I don't know if Larry Scott would have wanted to do that, but, you know, because, oh, we want to be able to win your division and, uh, hey, Colorado won the division, and that's great. But 
I think George Klyovkov knows you have to do whatever you need to do to maximize your playoff chances. And in a world where it's a 12-team playoff, divisions don't make sense. It was a few years ago at UCLA was 6-6 six and six in the championship game. They upset the North winner, and man, you got, you got a lot of problems there. So, yes, I agree with you. I feel like this is a situation that you have to be nimble. You have to adjust. If someone's mad because you're getting rid of the divisions, too bad. Like, this is what you have to do to try to get the most teams and protect your teams to, from uh, getting eliminated from the, the college football playoff. So, exactly what you said, the way you describe it, you can't have that kind of situation. The days of putting your best teams at a competitive disadvantage are over. You can't do that. Um, you've seen the you know, it didn't work in the SEC. If anything was going to get in Alabama's way, the SEC would make sure, hey, we're not going to do this out of our way to make Alabama uh, go through a, hard, a tougher road, you know? And I don't feel you can do that. If, if there's a chance that Oregon gets upset and don't make the playoff, you can't, you can't do that. So I think the divisions will go away as soon as we know about the, the playoffs. So, it, I mean, this could take a while. This could take a couple of years. We might see this in the next year or so uh, with the new playoff, with a bigger SEC. It just depends. All these TV contracts, you know, they're, they're not over for a while, but it's probably in everyone's best interest to get these things uh, going faster. So I, this is an interesting time I call it football for sure. So we just have to kind of hold on and, and see what happens. We got two things happening right now, even as you speak, Ryan. One, I have a listener who is a Stanford fan reaching out to me with, I need this guy to go. Classic USC guy. (laughs) (laughs) So there's 12 Stanford fans in Northern California and one in Utah, and one in Utah is lighting you up. (laughs) It was so predictable. When I heard you, having lived in California, when you said that, I thought, yeah, that's just USC Stanford. That's going to happen right there. All right, the second thing is more serious. Yak, what did you just see? Who did you see it from? Bring Ryan up to speed while he's yakking with us. Well, it's a joint statement coming in from both Texas and the University of Oklahoma saying that the University of Oklahoma and the University of Texas at Austin have notified the Big 12 Athletic Conference today they will not be renewing their grants of media rights following the expiration in 2025. You know what Vince Scully used to say, Ryan? To the track, to the wall, gone! Yeah, wow. So this is, uh, I mean, not unexpected, obviously. We thought it would come today but this is a you know that's four years right i mean is that going to happen are you going to let texas and oklahoma wither on the vine well they won't be withering the the conference will be and you know i don't think this is going to happen it's either going to be the big 12 dissolves and they can walk away or those two teams have to figure out a way to pay 75 i think it's like 75 million dollars each to get out um of the conference so now we're on the clock. We know that they're going to go. Uh, now they can officially go, hello, SEC, we'd be interested in joining you. And uh, what happens? I mean, the SEC could probably pay or everyone could kind of put it together. But this is uh, the timing now becomes when are they going to leave? And then obviously what happens? There's just going to be, I mean, is it ashes left for the Big 12? There's just no way. So those schools are going to be scrambling to try to do something. Um, and uh, obviously, we're going to hear something soon about the SEC in Texas and Oklahoma. Man, it's, a, it's, a, it's an unexpected bomb drop, but man, it's a bomb. It just feels like, uh, to go with all the, the analogies, the metaphors, and the similes here, uh, the divorce is going to happen. Everybody's calling their lawyers, and you can leave, but I'm getting the house. Who gets the money? Who gets the TV contract? <laughs> that's that's where this is right now. If they're sending a letter, then it is on, and anything can be negotiated. And the price is money. 
<laughs> that's yeah. that's where it is. Forget all the collegiality, blah blah blah. Right now, this is this is all about the cash. Well, what are they paying yeah. to get out, and what do they have to leave behind? And the other eight have yeah. got to just. Here's the thing, you and you said this earlier. You can't add teams just to add teams. No league can do that. Now. Maybe West Virginia can be Team 15. I think the ACC will always hold a spot for Notre Dame at 16. So yeah. West Virginia will make calls. West Virginia, Kansas, and Iowa State would all be crazy not to call the Big Ten. Yeah. Everybody, everybody else is calling the Pac-12. <laughs> so the Pac-12 has got to decide what they want. And is it going to come down to, you're right, the TV contract could shrink you know, by 50%, give or take a little bit. BYU, Houston, Memphis, Cincinnati, we know the schools they flirted with before. Do they add those four now and try to go on because nobody wants them? And do those schools want to jump on that boat thing? And well, is that boat going to come apart? Yeah, there's so many options on the table. Unfortunately for the Pac-12, they're not great ones. Um, at least on paper, we're not seeing anything that's great. And maybe George Klyovkov comes up with some crazy idea that we never even thought of and uh, makes the conference a lot of money, but there's, you're going to have to be nimble and you're going to have to be, I mean, this is huge news happening the day before Pac-12 media day. And, you know, the good thing is it's not the Pac-12 getting gutted. It's it's the big 12, but you still are, you know, the, the 800 pound gorilla just, you know, put on some weight, ate a few more cheeseburgers and it's going to be even bigger now. So you got to compete against that. And uh, I think the Pac-12 has some options, uh, but we just don't see the great ones yet. So that's, that's why, they, you know, George Klyovkov gets paid the big bucks. He's got to come up with something special here to uh, really help his conference. Ryan, I have these random thoughts, and 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 Yach knows this, and he's going to giggle because I'm going to throw out one that I've hit him with at ten uh, ten after the show when we've been doing this. He's covering his face. Yach, what am I going to say right now? We haven't talked about this. I've got about three that I can think of right off the top of my head. But I'm only going to embarrass myself with one of them on the air. Which one's it going to be? <laughs> Come on, Yach. You don't want to guess? No. Name a school. I'm not even going to guess. Oh, Yach. All right. So if you bring in four teams from the Midwest, and I get travel would be an issue and all that, nobody wants to play the night games. The Pac-12 will have value to CBS, Fox, ABC, and ESPN in that fourth window at Hawaii football only. They've already got the rest of their sports parked in the Big West. I don't know where Oklahoma State and Texas Tech had parked their sports. they probably find something. Hawaii's already done. They'll play the late games. You can build them up over time. And there's a lot of athletes in Hawaii. <laughs> there's a lot of athletes. It might give you an advantage in recruiting. Or maybe not, because kids in L.A. are going to Clemson and Alabama. How far out? How far out is that? I mean, is that just uh, like way out there by Pluto and can't even be considered? <laughs> yeah, Pluto's not even a planet anymore, right? Or is it? It's know, not, it's and that's back, the thing. So. Hawaii might not be a Pac-12 school. I didn't pick <laughs> Neptune on purpose. Yeah, I, I think that would be really tough as far as like just all everything as far as travel and stuff goes. If you're going to be a team that's further west of the Pac-12, um, they, they can't really. They still have to, you know, be a lot of travel for all the other sports. I nope, think nope not the other sports. The other sports are already in the Big West. You're taking them football only. I'm not that crazy. Just a football only. Okay, so similar to what you'd you know, maybe do with like Texas Tech. Yeah, the Pac-12's, State, never, uh, the Pac-12's never been open to that. I just don't know if they're desperate enough now that they would be open to it. Yeah. it's. Uh, I think that you have to look at that possibility. You have to look at all of them. Um, I don't know. I, it, 
academically, I don't think all that stuff really adds up. Right. Uh, and it's, you know, they're playing in a, a stadium that's going to be, I mean. Yeah, they're, gonna, they're, they're supposed to be building a new one, and they certainly would with Pac-12 money. Right. That would, I would think that would help them uh, get there. And, you know, I think Pac-12 recruits Hawaii pretty well already, but, yeah, that, that might be a little bit of a stretch. But, you know, who knows? It'd be, uh, you got to keep all options on the table. If it works, if you can run the numbers and it works, it's going to work well and help the conference, then, yeah, you can do it. But I, don't know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on that one happening. Ryan, we appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you again as the season gets closer. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Ryan Abraham, USCFootball.com, host of the podcast of Champions and a guy who gets on the nerves of Stanford fans everywhere. PK's going to join us next, and we'll talk more about Oklahoma and Texas. They're sending the letter. Barry Trammell said he was 80% sure it's going to happen, so that number's climbing. You send the letter, you're moving into 100% territory. PK's next. Stay with us. PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision loves teachers. If your teacher needs LASIK, Davis Vision wants to give back. Schedule a free consultation, appointment, and inquire about additional savings to their summer sale price. Call them today at 801-253-3080. 801-253-3080. Or check them out at davisvisionmd.com. Time to welcome in PK. Checking in. And PK, your mom was right before her time. She beat all the college football recruiters on the SEC story. She was famous for saying, money loves money. And now Oklahoma and Texas send the letter to the Big 12 on the grant of rights. They are preparing to jump to the SEC. Money loves money. And Oklahoma and Texas love the SEC. She was right. Well, uh, also for myself here. I have sent a letter to our organization that I will renew my grant of rights. <laughs> yes. I think that's a good thing for most employees in the U.S. to send, you know. And I love money, bit. too. So <laughs> hopefully there'll be more of it down the line. There you go. I like the way you think. <laughs> yes, it's very important. So you are a PAC. Now you're not a PAC-8 guy because Arizona and Arizona State got into the and made it the PAC-10 but Correct. the Pac-10, that gives you three and a half, no, four going on four and a half decades of equity in the league, and basically that makes you a lifelong fan. So I'm curious, you look at eight other teams, and you know the game now, either those eight stick together and bring in two or four more teams, or those eight cut deals and try to jump to other conferences, and realistically those eight are going to try and do both things at the same time. As a Pac-12 lifer, any of those eight excites you? I don't know if they excite me. I don't know that the Pac-12 needs to expand just because the SEC is, because you're never going to chase down the SEC to begin with. Right. So why go and try to do something that you don't want to do? And if you want to do it, that's an entirely different story. But, I mean, I don't go to Hawaii. I heard you talking to Ryan there. Just because Texas and Oklahoma go in the SEC doesn't mean the Pac-12 need to go to Hawaii just to get some games on at 2 in the morning back east that no one's going to be paying attention to anyway. Uh, so I don't know about that, but you investigate, you investigate everything. Sure. Yeah. The thing that I'm more concerned about from the PAC 12 perspective is not necessarily expanding. I mean, Oklahoma state to me is something that is worthwhile. Then you check out TCU, you check out Texas tech, 
obviously Kansas basketball is really good. Kansas state football has had a decent program and a lot of different programs, sports, I should say. So and you would see that, but you, you have to, to me, the bigger concern for the PAC 12 is the, not from the expansion fallout, but the fallout potentially of other programs saying, Hey, wait a second here. I mean, SUSC, do they fall further behind revenue speaking as the SEC becomes so dominant? And basically the SEC is a super league now in terms of having like Kevin Durant join the Warriors. And yep. we know what happened there yeah. when they did that. So now do the, does anybody really pay attention or how much attention do they pay beyond Clemson and uh, Ohio State outside of the ACC? And so in that regard, does the Pac-12 fall further behind? And so does SC say, hey, wait a second, does uh, Washington, does Oregon, you know, what are the the power brokers, so to speak, of the Pac-12 do as far as that goes? And what what does the eight remaining of the Big 12 what do they do? Do they because there's been all sorts of talk. It's been out there for a long time now of going and poach the Arizonas. And what what type of deal can they set up? Because if they can strengthen or fortify themselves, does that weaken the Pac-12 even more? So I don't look at it as far as the Pac-12 expanding. I look about uh, maybe uh, reducing teams. And what do these others who have options do if they want to use these options? That's interesting. Reducing teams. Invite a couple people to leave the party. That isn't how college sports has worked. But it is also pretty easy to look and say, you know, which teams bring the least value. And thanks for playing. The door's on your right. Yeah, to me, you know, uh, on uh, what was it? Uh, when did it happen? On Thursday when the news came. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was off that day, although I, I was housebound. We were having carpet put in. And so it was a six hour project. So I couldn't go anywhere. Uh, had to stay there and so i fired up the satellite and listened to all these national shows spent all that time and also was preparing for uh, the media day that we're having here and uh, went through every team did deep even deeper dives Uh, i still have washington state and oregon state left but i did deeper dives than i normally do on 10 pac-12 teams so listening to just a whole bunch of uh, people the the things that they're concerned about from the pac-12 is not necessarily adding teams but if teams leave so this and, and i don't think you can understate this i think this has the potential to be the greatest, uh, how can I say this, uh, earth-shattering college football news that we've had since, uh, what was it, uh, when did they decide that uh, TV contracts could be divvied up way back when? I think that, you know, that was a big thing. And I think this, yeah, in the 80s, right. And this has the potential to be bigger because this is just two teams, potentially two athletic programs, potentially moving. But I think the fallout is going to be far, far greater than simply two teams moving from one conference to another. So, and I think a lot of people listening agree with that and they can see how any of those other eight teams might be on the move or how those eight teams might be trying to bring in two to four teams. But your point is yes, 
yes, but expand beyond that. You know, and the the Big Ten is the second most valuable league. And they are thinking, how do we keep up with the SEC? And if they really think outside the box, because there was a time when 12, 14, and 16-team leagues were unthinkable. And now they are thinkable. But if they're going to expand and add teams, USC and Oregon are two huge brands. If you wanted four teams, I think USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington. So as you listen to all those shows, did they get into specifics? Would it be more? Would it be six or eight teams to have a division out west and make it a massive TV contract? What are they thinking? Uh, yes to basically everything there. I mean, literally everything, as you just said, is on the table. So, yeah, I, they're not necessarily going down uh, road number one, two, or three. They're going down all of them to see what is going on. I mean, this is a crazy time now. This news was just explosive beyond explosive, right? It dominated uh, college sports and will continue to do so. Uh, it, it is so crazy David James Nickeldorf III, you know that song that it never rains in Southern California? It yep. is raining in Southern California as we speak. Well, so they when need that it. happens, <laughs> when that happens, you know that this is a weird, weird world in which we live. So all of those things are out there. And I can't pinpoint A, B, or C because everything is available right now. Because the Big 12, or excuse me, the Big 10 has at least their ballpark being able to keep up with the SEC. You know, I'm not sure the other conferences are now, especially. They couldn't before, and they're certainly not going to now. You know, if this thing comes to pass and in whichever configuration that it does, and we know they sent the letter this morning, but there's still opportunities for them to stay if they get more money, what have you. But this is the first step. It certainly looks that direction. And we've got a few years, depending. And you told me years ago, I can. I was thinking of you the other day. Well, they're not going to get out until 24, 25. Yeah, but everything is negotiable. Right. So, you know, three, four years could be three, four months. And they could be playing in 20, what's it, 21? They could be playing in 2022 for all we know. So, yeah, I think all of these athletic uh, conferences are going to have to figure out what's best for them. And then individual schools are going to have to figure out what's best for them. And, you know, we we wouldn't have thought that it's just a smaller level, the implosion of whack football or the implosion of Big East football. Who's to say that there's not one of these power five conferences that doesn't exist the way we know it in a year from now? Yeah. And the Big 12 is at the front of the line. But to your point, it's not crazy to see the Pac-12 remade. And I think the thing it comes down to is supply and demand. Cartels and monopolies can make a lot of money. And so I I read this a long time ago. I think when I read it, and I don't know who to credit for, um, but when I read it, I think we still had six leagues. I don't think the Big East had been... uh, had been devastated by the ACC yet. And they said the TV networks have more of the power because at that point you only had kind of two networks. Fox wasn't maybe really into football at that point. You only had a couple networks that were interested really in jumping into the deep end of the college football pool. Fox may have been dabbling. NBC dabbles with Notre Dame. But you got six leagues and you got two TV networks, so the leagues have to cater to the networks. But the leagues all knew they'd have more power if there were fewer of them. So now we're going to have four power leagues. And if there's some kind of Pac-12, Big Ten merger, restructure, you know, do, do, the, do the eight most valuable Pac-12 brands go with the eight most valuable Big Ten brands? 
and form a 16-team league? Or is it 12 and 6? You know, I mean, you can go to any permutation combination of numbers. But the fewer bidders, the more CBS, Fox, and ABC, ESPN think, well, we got to get this league. I mean, the pressure's on Fox and CBS now. ABC, ESPN's already locked up the SEC and the ACC. So if you're going to make money on the weekends in the fall, you're going to televise football. And if you're going to televise football, you're going to make a deal with the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, regardless of whether that deal is good, very good, or great. You're going to have to make it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that I feel probably the most strong, I don't necessarily know in what type of formula, but I think we're going to see a breakaway. The NCAA is being phased out. Uh, that uh, to me that's abundantly clear as we know it anyway as some d- rules uh jurisprudence if that makes sense that know. part's toast yeah, yeah they're, they're right. here an emmert statement last week they're right. basically here to run championships and so right. you don't have to break away from them if they just let go and receive you know you don't have to move out of your parents house if your parents tell you you don't have a curfew come and go as you please yeah. So with that in mind, I think that there's going to be some tor- some form of breakaway the way we know uh, FBS and FCS and all that stuff. And so I think these these basically these power brokers are going to form their own league and, and decide how many teams or co- programs they're going to invite in and you know how they're going to set it up is it going to be an american conference and a national conference basically like mm-hmm. the nfl does yeah. you know I, I think that's where we're going and we're going to get there probably sooner than we anticipated but i think that's the direction so if you're a fan of whatever we'll use utah and byu obviously as the lead examples since those are our listeners schools that you got to find a way to make sure you're in in whichever manner you can be in and is it going to be like uh, some of these programs like uh, uh, in the uh, i think in the 90s or the 2000s my favorite band the eagles they basically said hey for henley and fry we're the ones driving this so we're going to get more than you get and so the one guy sued and all that stuff, and he was kicked out of the band. The other two guys decided to stay, but they don't get as much money. Would there be something along those lines to where, all right, well, I'm Alabama, but I need to play somebody, <laughs> but I'm not going to necessarily share everything. You know, for years and years, BYU carried the whack, and they were getting the same as much same TV money as Wyoming. And we know Boise State uh, cut some individual deal here mm-hmm. when they – renegotiated with the Mountain West. So what my guess is is going to be something along those lines too. Even within the halves, there's going to be differences in that way. We're we're kind of already seeing it. You know, when Nick Saban comes out and says a quarterback who's never started a game has already earned a million dollars through the NIL. Well, there's hardly anybody else who can do that. What he was saying is come one, come all, if you're a big-time football player. I mean, that's the point of bringing that up is that he was recruiting as he was saying that, obviously. So I don't know that we're going to see an even division of money even within the same division, so to speak. And it seems for a long time now that the magic number for college football and big-time programs has been in the mid-60s. That number has moved a little bit as leagues have reorganized. But I think to the point you brought up, it doesn't have to stay there. Everything's negotiable. And what if that number gets dropped down into the 40s or 50s? I mean, the NFL obviously has conquered the country with 32 teams. Right. And college football's got to be looking at those models. And, and again, the NFL, all the networks have to come to the NFL if they want pro football. 
So the leverage and the power is with them. And that's what I think continues to drive the consolidation that you say is going to keep happening. That's what's going to drive it. The more conferences there are, the more power the networks have. The fewer conferences there are, the more the power goes from whoever's buying the video rights, because I probably shouldn't say networks anymore. Whoever's buying the video rights, and is that going to be you know, Amazon or Netflix or Google, whoever. But whoever's buying the rights, there's more power as they drop the number of rights holders. And it looks like with the Big 12, we're going from five to four. I mean, there are other deals out there, and they'll televise the Mountain West, and they'll televise the American. But the heavy hitters to get the overwhelming share of the money are those power five now, four leagues. So we're down from six to five to four, and are we going to three? It seems like that's the way to bet in the long run. 2-1 2-1 blast off and also and I know we got to go here is you've been talking when you just had Ryan Abraham you're talking about putting sports in other leagues or yes. another league no see I don't think that that necessarily needs to happen because they can stay in that league like the WAC lost football but they still had the WAC so you still have the Pac-12 for the other sports right but it's actually the football programs that leave. leave the other sports stay but the football programs leave that makes a lot of sense logically, but emotional PK has to realize, man, those schools that get left behind when schools leave, are they still going to want to be in the league? Maybe they will be. Yeah, but, but see, it wouldn't be emotion. like everybody everybody in the in the in the WAC or Mountain West, I should say, hated BYU when they did what they did, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, they understood TCU and they understood Utah. BYU is like, how dare you? We're never gonna play you. We know all that story yeah. that was ten plus years ago. But when there's a bunch of them leave and it's obvious to do that for the money, I think the feelings, even though they may be frayed a little bit, it's more understandable because who do I hate? If I've got SC Oregon, Washington, whomever uh, that leave, well, who do I hate more? You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas BYU did it by themselves, so they hated them uh, because of who they were. Right. So I think there's different. There's a potential of drastically different circumstances there. But if, uh, let's say, Oregon State, Washington State, and Arizona were left out and whoever else, uh, who are they going to play? They want to maintain those associations, you know. Assuming basketball doesn't get sucked up into that, I mean, they are going to want to. Uh, so, right. oh, maybe you're right. Maybe it's more about hey, you just got to play. The, the tennis teams have to play more locally. This is crazy flying tennis teams from Seattle to Phoenix. What what, what are we doing here? What, what, yeah, I've been saying that for years. Right, and at some point. Maybe as they sit down and scratch out numbers on the bottom line, somebody decides, hey, if you're in Oregon or Washington, we can find, we can find six, eight, ten schools here and, and stay off airplanes so much. Right. All right, DJ and PK, you know, that would mean less missed class time, too, because this is first and foremost an academic endeavor. Am I right? Am I right? That's what I heard. I've heard that like 30 years ago or 20 years ago, drummed into me every day from October to March. Yeah. All right. PK, thanks for checking in. We're going to hear you pack 12 me today. Deep dive. Just before we go, deep dive. Have you found one? Okay. No, I've been told I can't even ask you this. We'll get it tomorrow. (laughs) Yak is dropping the hammer. He's back from vacation. He's dropping the hammer. Thanks, PK. Okay. See you. DJ PK, coming up, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, about 15 minutes away. What can be done to help the U.S. basketball team win gold? Or they're just not going to do it. We'll talk with Steve coming up. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson.
Sam Amick, senior NBA writer for The Athletic. The fact that the Bucks had struggled in previous years to get to the promised land, maybe that's an indicator it can happen for a team like the Jazz. No doubt the West parody is going to be wild. When Monty Williams is getting emotional talking about you don't know if you're going to be back to the finals, it really struck a chord with me because it was like, that's particularly true in the West. If the Jazz got a few breaks here and there, this could have been them. And maybe it'll be them next year. Who knows? But, you know, Jazz will be right there again. Just the numbers alone, if you've got six, seven teams with the type of talent where you can imagine a scenario where they get to the finals, then who knows how it unfolds. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. From building concepts to launching your product line on Amazon, Angora is there. Want real tangible profits within the first year? Angora will explain how it's done. Angora's team of professionals educates you on how they build you a revenue stream on Amazon's e-commerce platform. You can create real, sustainable growth. Find out how at angora.solutions. There you can sign up for a free partnership consultation. Go to angora.solutions and let them begin building your Amazon e-commerce business. Do you snore at night? You could be suffering from sleep apnea, a serious medical condition. Be one of the first 25 people to call Sound Sleep Medical and receive a free sleep consultation, normally a $200 value. Sound Sleep Medical uses a custom-fitted oral appliance instead of a cumbersome CPAP machine to treat sleep apnea. Most insurance companies and Medicare cover oral appliance therapy. To learn more, call 801-285-9731 or visit soundsleepmedical.com. Hey guys, Jake here from my friends at Zero Res. Declare freedom from dirt, spills, and pet accidents with Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. July is for celebrating, hiking, boating, and all things in the sun. Keep your weekend easy and let Zero Res do the work with their patented process. First, they use their ZR Lifter, which has counter-rotating brushes. And now, your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. Right field, a laser, and it's gone. 35. Shohei, Showtime in Minneapolis, 35th home run. That ball's crushed. There is the Chevy Strong play of the game, Shohei Otani. 35th homer, breaks a 2-2 tie. The Angels score three in the ninth and win 6-2. Know it today at 4.50 on the Big Show, and you can win fabulous prizes. All right, coming up, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, is going to join us. What can be done to get the U.S. Olympic team on track? They lost to France, 83-76, or is it too late? These guys, they need a team that plays together more than one summer. They need the best players to play, and they don't have either one of those things. There's no LeBron. There's no Steph Curry. There's no Chris Paul. There's no Donovan Mitchell. I mean, we can go down the line. Too many elite guys who could have helped this team aren't playing, and they need to play together more than one summer. Joe Ingles is playing in his fourth Olympic Games. Half that Australian team has been together for two or three Olympics. Some of them have been together for four. And they play in the World Cups. So they're playing at least every other summer, and maybe more than that. And the U.S. isn't. So if you don't send your best players and it's an all-star team, is this what you get? We'll talk with Steve Cleveland about that. And also, the Jazz, they got to be all in the next three years. They're close to a championship. They had the best record in the NBA. They're in the mix. And now, 
Rudy Gobert's 29. This is not a young team anymore. Rudy's about to turn 30. You figure he's got three or four years and his elite mobility for a guy of that size with his elite wingspan, it's an unusual combination. But at some point, you lose half a step. And for most guys, 32, 33, 34, that's when that's happening. So these are Rudy's best years. And Donovan Mitchell, we know he signed a five-year deal, but the fifth year is at his option. And we know how it works with Anthony Davis in New Orleans and with James Harden in Houston. If somebody wants out, well, you don't really have four years, then you'd have three, right? And even if he doesn't want out, a big part of this team is built around Rudy's ability to defend. And the elite level he defends at, how many more years is he going to be able to do that? Three, four, five? So the Jazz have to be all in right now. And they got to be all in for the next three years. And that may, that may be it for this group. Or maybe these guys like Stockton alone will be freakish and be elite at 35, 36. But right now, the Jazz have to be all in. And what does that mean? Where are the moves to be made in this offseason? We'll talk with Steve Cleveland about that coming up next. Stay with us. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Summer LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, joins us now on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Steve, the USA. You and I are both <laughs> about the same age to remember the shock. I was a little kid. It was the first Olympics that I have any memory of at all. But I can remember how shocked, even though I didn't get to see the game, how shocked everyone was the USA lost in 1972 and how they were cheated. And then, in 88, we were just beaten. So we sent the NBA in 92. But the NBA lost in 2004, and I'm getting the feeling the NBA guys aren't going to bring home the gold this year. Am I being too negative? Uh, No, probably not. And, I mean, I think the world's changed a lot since those early days when you and I were watching those games as younger kids and stuff. But... uh... Yeah, it, it's just one of those things that uh, with all the things that have gone on in the world in the last year and a half, you know, it probably seemed, and, and realistically, it was impossible for the best players in in the NBA and or in the world to, to all show up for this. And, I mean, there's a lot of guys that just, you know, basically said, hey, you know what, I'm not going to do it this year. Or, obviously, the two NBA seasons we've just experienced took quite a toll on a lot of folks. So, you know, we don't have that that team that uh, that we watched many years ago and, and the dream team and those. But uh, I still think, I mean, I'm not, I'm not giving up on them. I mean, it doesn't look great when, when you've already lost three games, uh, two in the, in the early ones, that, the qualifier that don't really count, just the practice games. But, um, yeah, there's, there's no reason for them to lose to France. But, I mean, I'm certainly not blaming it on Middleton and Booker and, and Drew Holiday, who actually actually played really well. Um, you know, they just don't seem to have a lot of size, and and, and when KD plays poorly, uh, they're going to have a they're going to have a hard time winning. And uh, they just you know they couldn't make baskets, and uh, it just it, I, I saw a little bit of clips of it, so I didn't really watch the game itself. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it was one of those things that you could just see that the toughness and the, you know every game they play, 
uh, this is the game of the year for every country that plays the United States. But they're good enough. They're good enough. Durant just can't go one for six for the three and score ten. Lillard, three for ten. Uh, Middleton obviously didn't score, but I, I don't blame anything on him. Uh, they, they, just, they just don't have a way to get easy baskets inside either. I think that hurts them. So I, I'm quite confident they'll win the next two games. Uh, but after that, who knows? Yeah. So I think uh, I think you hit on something there. Don't blame the guys who are there, and it's easy to blame yeah. them because they're the ones you know who are missing four shots in a row, five shots in a row, six shots in a row, seven shots in a row. So I get that, but I still don't really want to do that. And we put these questions up on our Facebook page and kind of get the you know, the pulse of the people and all that. And Scott said, uh, "Send them home. They don't care." Well, I don't, I don't buy that. I think once you turn the scoreboard on, they're going to care. So I think they care. I think the question is, for the guys who aren't there, do they care enough? Because I think the answer there, now, now you've got a question. Because there's a lot of guys who played in the NBA who are willing to play for their country in multiple summers. Joe Ingles is in his fourth Olympic Games, and he played in the World yeah. Championships, now the World Cup. And so you're looking at a guy who's written off, that's at least eight summers, but I know it's more than that. I can't tell you Joe's played every summer. Um, I mean, last summer nobody played. But, um, but he has played most, if not all, of his professional summers when he could. And I think the, the teamwork you build up for France, for Spain, for Australia, for the other elite teams, and the U.S., can they get guys to play two or three summers in a row because that's what they had in 08. The guys played, the core of guys played together in multiple summers, played in the World Championships, now the World Cup. Can they get U.S. players to do that? Because it, it does require some level of teamwork. There's a tremendous amount of talent in the U.S., but they need some teamwork. You know, I, I think your point's well taken. And I, and I think that uh, the number of, of, of players playing in the NBA, you're right, there's Joe Ingles and others that would play every summer with their you know, their national teams, that doesn't seem to be a real high priority. I'm not saying for a moment that these guys don't love their country and, and are proud about being on that team and excited about being on that team. But there is something to be said about preparation and learning how to play with each other. I mean, my goodness, the, the chemistry, the, those kinds of things, the system that they're involved in that they've been doing over four or five years – they have confidence in that, like they do it in their own NBA team. They, they know the system. There's great chemistry. Teams don't have great success unless they have that chemistry and guys are on the same page. And if it's just a lot of perimeter shooting and, you know, guy, you, know you, you take the first good look and shoot it and just assume that because they're great shooters in the NBA that that's going to happen, it's going to be different. They're going to see a lot of different types of defenses, too. They're going to be zoned a lot. They're going to force them to shoot perimeter shots. Um, Besides the fact it's it's the, everybody they play, it's the game of the year. Yeah, you know, I mean, game of the century for that country. I mean, it's they're hyped, they're ready, they're and, and and there's to be honest with you, there's a lot of really good players in the world today, and we see that where uh, so many of these countries have NBA guys. So it's not like it was where there just wasn't a talent level. The talent level has risen. Certainly, we would expect more from the guys that are playing right now in the NBA, even though we maybe don't have all the great players, that we've got enough players that if these guys have been playing together, as you mentioned, for the last two or three summers, or they had been together where they could develop that chemistry, understand that system, and how, you know, you you wonder after what they've gone through, uh, how hungry are they? Uh, You know, really how competitive 
are they going to be in, in this situation and circumstance? And you take a Joe Ingles who is proud of his Australian heritage and he's playing with guys he's played with, I'm assuming probably for the last 10 or 15 years that uh, they, they've just got a different connection than the U.S. team who's bringing individuals together for the not for the first time. These guys have known each other, but really this group hasn't played together uh, other than some of those practice games. They come right out of an NBA season, and they're not prepared. They're not nearly as prepared as the teams are going to play. In some situations, you figure there's enough talent there to beat most teams. But to beat the elite Olympic teams here, they're going to have to grind and go through what it takes in the NBA to win a, win a series. And the problem is, it's not best out of seven. <laughs> you know, they, they you're one and done. And, you know, I mean, outside of the pool play they're playing now, you can lose a ball game. But after that, you know, you're going home. So I'm hopeful that they'll get together. I, I have great respect for Middleton and Booker and and uh, Drew Holiday uh, flying over there, getting there. I mean, I listened to them talk about this experience. And I don't know if it's the first time for all three of them. It may be. But they seemed excited and and, and uh, really eager to get over there and get, be a part of it. But it, in all fairness to them, uh, you know, they need some rest. And hopefully this will be a bit of a wake-up call where they'll get some confidence. And I know they, I think they play the Czech Republic. Who's the other team that they play? They play, they play Iran Wednesday, and they ought to win that. Yeah. And then they play the Czech Republic on Saturday. And then... Then it gets eighteen single elimination, and you know we'll have to see what yeah, the draw is. Right. So hopefully these two games, they can develop some chemistry. They can get on the same page. They can get some confidence back. But it's it's going to be a grind. I, I I think they're talented enough to win the thing. There's no question in my mind. But you know how things. If you don't take the right mental approach to this, and you're not all in uh, physically, emotionally, mentally, um, you're going to get beat. You're going to get beat, and because the the talent level from all of these countries have not just representatives from the NBA, but guys playing in Europe and different places, and, and they're older and they're more mature, and their their size. I think at the rim, these guys are big, and this is really a team made up of slender, uh, kind of perimeter players. I, I don't know who where the beef is inside and where the girth is that you need to be in a, in a game, you know, I mean, my goodness, you can play above the rim, you can, you can do whatever you want. So I think that's the weakness of this team. They just don't have the size. Uh, and these games typically turn into half-court games. And even though there's shot clocks and those kinds of things, it's about pounding it inside. And, you know, whether they can deal with that over the course of, you know, three, four, five, six games, it, it's to be seen. But, uh, yeah, all of those things are things that make you question a little bit whether the United States is prepared and really has the depth and, and the girth inside to deal with a game that's very physical. And, and you know, in the NBA, it, it's changed. You know, it used to be a real physical game. But now fouls are called and guys, it's just it's, it's a little bit softer game in the NBA than it used to be. Now, you know, we beat the Suns and – you know, they both competed at a high level, and Milwaukee played with great energy, and uh, and, and they had that toughness. And that's what the pundits are going to look at here. Where's the toughness? Where's the competitiveness? And uh, they can't just rely on the three ball, that's for sure, to win this thing. So switching gears to the Utah Jazz, uh, we had David Locke on a few days ago, and I was talking to him about 
the the and I think the front office, from what I've heard, they like to keep things really secretive. So I'm sure there's stuff I don't know. But I think that there's the awareness inside the organization, and I think the awareness needs to grow in the fan base that it's time to be all in. And if the Jazz trade out of the first round, and I get it, if they see the next Rudy Gobert, who they got at 27, if they see him at 30, well, don't trade out. I mean, obviously. But that roster spot and that money might be better used on a veteran who can give you something in one matchup in one playoff series. Because... The future for a championship is now. Rudy Gobert is 29. He is elite size and elite mobility, and that's not going to last forever. Three, four, five years down the road, that is going to slip. And he's not going to be able to get beat at the three-point line and spin around and chase down a Dallas Maverick and block a shot to win a game. He's just not going to be moving like that at some point. And Donovan Mitchell signed for five years, but the fifth year is his option. And we know from watching what happened with Anthony Davis and James Harden that you get down to the last year of the deal and you might have to move somebody and move on if it's not working and you're not getting to the finals winning the title. So they might, at that point, have to break everything up. So the future is now for the next three years. Are you buying all that line of thinking, and would you be comfortable with them going old and signing 31-year-old veterans, even if it's for a limited role with an eye towards a playoff series? Given a world where, you know, what have you done for me lately? And, 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 and we, we, we all think that way. You know, it's, it's about the moment. It's now. And uh, I, I, I believe, to be honest with you, that they need to trade the draft picks. They need to figure out how they can, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it is, well, you could take the idea that, well, we'll trade our draft picks, maybe we'll get a couple of second-rounders. You know, well, those guys aren't going to help you win. I mean, I'm not saying those guys can't be players at some point in time. And, uh, but I, I think, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not as much up on it, but just looking at the Jazz, I, I like the idea of trading some players, trading some picks, and, and get one one more player that fits in. That you know, I mean, I, I'm assuming that they're going to bring Conley back, and I'm, that you know, we're going to assume that everybody's going to get healthy. And so, is that a six, seven, six, eight, you know, combo wing, uh, you know, three and D guy that can come in and give them. 16 points a game. I don't know exactly who's out there, and we'll know more after this draft. But, yeah, that I, I completely agree with that mentality, that they need to go and get it done now. Because you, otherwise, otherwise, they're in a situation where they're always going to be almost there, almost going to be there. And they're going to get farther away if they don't get better right now. And the league's going to be, my goodness, the, the league is not going away. I mean, Phoenix is gained a lot of success and the Lakers are going to be back and, and they're going to be hopefully healthy. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's not going to get any easier. And, uh, and But the Jazz, all right, they're at a point right now. they they got to know what they watched and saw and where they fell a little bit short or injuries really hurt them, that they're not that far away. And so if they want to get to an NBA Finals, they, they need to bring somebody in that can give them 15 or 16 and, and has had some experience I don't know exactly who that is, but uh, but at the end of the day, if you're telling, if you're asking me, hey, do we trade our picks? Do we get some second rounders? Do we, you know, try to improve ourselves for the future? I would say you you, you you trade and do everything you do right now to get yourself back to the NBA Finals next year, and uh, or in the next year or two, because that group is, is you know, they, they've dealt with some injuries this year, but for the most part, this is a veteran team that has the ability to get there. 
And, uh, you know, I mean, the Suns made everybody believers of that this year. And we say what you want about people getting hurt. Injuries always play a part in every every NBA season. Every NBA season, there's teams in the finals who there's an injury, and it just it just happens. You, I mean, you can't control that. So my, I, I would be all in on finding another guy that can make an impact and then uh, get in great shape and be prepared for another great year. But to to go young or trade a bunch of people to start trying looking for something else doesn't. So I think the 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 notion like who is out there and who is available uh, there. I just read a great story uh, about Philadelphia and the 76ers and that everyone is assuming Daryl Morey is going to trade Ben Simmons before the year before the next season starts. But he's not really available right now. But there's two things everybody's waiting for. One is for uh, Bradley Beal in Washington. Is he going to make a trade demand or not? And if he does, will it be public or not? And then Damian Lillard, when he gets back from the Olympics, what does he think of what the Blazers have done? Same thing. What does he say privately? What does he say publicly? Once people find out if those two guys are going to be available or not, then they'll make the moves. But it's like the free agent market with the pecking order. You know, well, I've got some guys who want to move, but i got to know if I'm going to be in on the two biggest prizes. Now, if those guys aren't going to be on the markets, they're both like, I'm good, let's, let's give this a shot next year. Then you move on to your other options. But everybody's kind of holding back, waiting, and it's, it's dominoes falling, essentially, or not falling, as the case may be. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I read a few things and listen uh, to some serious radio at times. And, 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 you know, I mean, I'm hearing Beal. I mean, right now they're trying to make sense of whether he goes and plays for the Warriors, you know, or later goes to to L.A. and uh, or, or wherever. Um, you know, those aren't those aren't guys that, that the Jazz are going to be involved with. But Ben Simmons is somebody that they could be involved with, depending on what the circumstances are. And, uh, again, I, I've read enough about Simmons to know that I, I would have, in, in my mind, as a GM or as a coaching staff, that we we can help this kid become a better shooter. You know, I mean, it's not it's not something that he, he doesn't have to be a forty percent three point shooter. I mean, we, we watched uh, Giannis, you know, go seventeen for nineteen in the finals when he had been a forty percent, you know, free throw shooter. Uh, I, I I just I just always believe that that is something that can be fixed. Even though it seems really broken mentally and emotionally, the kid's kind of a mess and all, all the things that went on during the NBA, those things can't be fixed. And it doesn't have to happen immediately. And it's just a matter of mentally and emotionally getting yourself in the right place with the right people. I mean, I, I don't know if the Jazz could be involved with Simmons and, and what they'd have to give up, but maybe they won't have to give up a lot. Maybe it's one of those things that uh, they'd just like to get rid of him and get his money so that they can look at a Beal or a Lillard or whomever else is out there. Um, I'm not enough in the end on no on that, but if I had a chance to get Simmons, I'd go after him. I mean, he's he's young. He, you, he, you can fix those things. Those ideas, well, they'll never be fixed. His shot will always be broke. They'll always be a mental wreck. I, I don't believe that. And, and uh, there's nothing about that kid that I've watched as he's played that seems like he's not but a great young man that wants to get better, and I can't even imagine what he's gone through here recently. But that can all be fixed. And if you could, you somehow, some way, get someone like that into a to, the, to a jazz situation, where man, defensively you get better, rebounding you get better, you can kind of can 
do a lot of other things that are really, really, really good, but we all just want to focus on the fact that he can't make a free throw. When I watch Giannis make 17 free throws, I realize then and there that, you know what, here's a guy that couldn't make one all year, and all of a sudden he does. It, it, a lot of it probably will have to do more with uh, kind of a, a mental coach, somebody that can work with his mind and help him get through those things, and uh, and then just getting lots of shots up. I think we all want to blow that thing up like, oh, it's never going to happen, but I don't believe that. I, I believe that Ben Simmons is going to end up being a really good NBA player and that at some point in time he's going to figure that out. And once he does, uh, he's going to be a pretty special. He already has a special talent with, with, with the inability to shoot the basketball. So it's just it, it's just a matter of how long, who you're going to get with him. You know, who, who are the who are the coaches or the the therapy type guy, therapist guys that can can kind of work with athletes that can help him get to another place uh, emotionally and mentally with the shooting. But man, he would. He would have an immediate impact in Utah. He'll have an immediate impact wherever he goes. But in Utah, uh, that kind of athleticism and that ability to defend 94 feet and uh, do the things that he does would be a great get if that could happen. So, Steve, as a former BYU and Fresno State basketball coach, what are basketball coaches around America thinking as Oklahoma and Texas announce, uh, you know, granite rights, blah, they're setting themselves up to go to the SEC. What are all the basketball coaches thinking as this football-driven stuff goes on? You know, I actually had that thought this this week, thinking about where there's opportunities. And uh, I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I think that we are all aware of what pays the bills and whatever. When the most, you know, obviously the NFL and uh, and college football are huge money makers and they make the world go round and we get that. I think most basketball coaches uh, don't have the time or, or the mindset that they're going to worry about that stuff. I mean, not that they wouldn't have an opinion, but they got so many other things that they're dealing with. It's like, okay, uh, we're going to be in a new conference now. I mean, that would, that would give you a little bit of trepidation. And all of a sudden I've got to re- get prepared for a whole new group of guys. And I'm pretty comfortable in this league. I know the coaches, so that, that it would it would be a bit of a burden in terms of getting ready, but there's, there's also uh, the, the other side of the coin is that you know they're not, the, the league's going to have to get ready for new teams as well. I don't think, to be honest with you, that the coaches, the elite coaches at that level, uh, really probably care. Uh, they they've got one thing to do, whether, no matter what league they're in. So I, I think probably there is some. Uh, Raised eyebrows and what you know? What are we doing now? Um, and, and where this takes us in terms of other sports? I it, it appears that the commissioners. I mean, basketball it brings in a, a lot of revenue as well, but it's not football at the highest level. We 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 do understand where the bread's buttered here, and it is in football. But I don't think that most college basketball coaches really care. To be honest with you, I mean, it, it could be a circumstance that. Uh, uh, you know, improves their circumstances financially, and maybe uh, allows some schools. But most, you know, in the Big Twelve and, and the SEC, the, the basketball programs are not without. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I don't even know if it would change that. You know, like, well, hey, we're all going to get new practice facilities because we're going into the SEC or this or that. Uh, personally, I don't think they're going to spend a lot of time worrying about it. And uh, they're out recruiting and they're trying to win games and and do what football coaches are doing and uh, just 
in a different setting, in a different circumstance. So I can't imagine, other than some raised eyebrows and like, well, what's going on now? But they've got jobs, and no matter what league they're in, they're all trying to win conference championships, get to the get to the tournament, and win a national championship. So I don't think that's going to be too big of a distraction for basketball coaches. Steve, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again. Yep. All right, buddy. See you. Take care. Have a good yep. week. Bye-bye. Our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, joining us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. When we come back, everything you missed in this show, Oklahoma and Texas making news this morning, U.S. basketball trying to regroup. We'll get to it all next. Stay with us. The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the Zone counts you down to the start of the 2021 season by listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at 1.30. Presented by Cypress Credit Union and ICON. On your home of the best college football coverage in Utah. 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. The Top 1660 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty announce another member of the top 60 players in the state of Utah as he counts you down to the start of the college football season. It's the Top 1660 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness here on the Zone Sports Network. So the story of the day, breaking during the show, Oklahoma and Texas... Yeah, they're out. Grant of rights. Guys, we will not extend them. So they're leaving. The only question is when. Max Olson, writing for The Athletic, has a story that has, uh, you know, some perspective and all that, but it, it really has two juicy quotes in it. Here's his story. Of all the colorful words and descriptions used to sum up Texas and Oklahoma within Big 12 circles over the past six days, here's a creative one offered by an administrator. Colon. Arsonists. <laughs> Quote, They set the house on fire knowing there were eight of us in it. Oof. So no hard feelings there. Uh, there's another quote about, uh, you know, that 2025 is when the grant of rights and the previous contract end. But everything's negotiable. A deal can be cut. Uh, and, they, and the quote was, they're going to pay a bleep ton of money to get out of this. So, gear up. Now, the other eight, are they going to get picked off by other leagues? Right now, I think that's the direction they've got to go. Those eight have to go out and offer themselves up to other leagues. I just don't know how many takers are going to be. And PK brings up a point. Don't expand, consolidate. Create more leverage by having fewer people for the broadcasters, whether it's the traditional ESPN, CBS, Fox, who appear to be the only ones in right now, but I think one day everyone thinks Google, Amazon, Netflix, and whoever else could be in there. But make the broadcasters come to you the way the NFL does. The NFL is a monopoly. Now, I don't know that college football can get to a monopoly, but we've talked about four leagues of 16. We're getting pretty close. The Big 12 is a major player. Uh, they're going to take a huge hit. Now, will it still be worth 10, 15, 20 million a team? Remains to be seen. My guess is those eight schools aren't going to find takers, they're going to band together, and are going to have to add more teams. 
Central Florida and South Florida, get into the Florida market, make yourself more valuable. Added team in Texas, Houston. Um, then Memphis, Cincinnati, BYU are all out there. They'll run all the numbers past the networks and see what they get offered. There will be no emotion. There will be money. They, they're going to take a hit. And if you're taking a pay cut, if you've ever been in that situation, and trust me, if you've been in broadcasting, you've been in that situation, uh, you try to figure out, okay, well, realistically, what do I have to do to not take another one? And how do I minimize the damage of taking this one? And any business that's ever cut a, a deal and had to go backwards, and I mean, we're coming through a pandemic, and you know, a decade before that, there was another financial meltdown. So I think a lot of people have been in this situation, either individually or with a company, or both. And that's what these eight have got to figure out right now. And I think the thing for BYU and Houston and Memphis and Cincinnati and Central Florida and South Florida to figure out is, okay, if we jump in with these guys, is the boat going to come apart? Everybody needs a lifeboat. Okay, but is this boat leaking? Before I hop in it. Now, there can be a grant of rights going forward, and teams can be committed for another, you know, 10, 20 years or whatever. Probably not 20. I think the long-term deals have really worked against the leagues that have signed them. One thing I read is that the ACC is the one school, or excuse me, the one conference that is most likely out of school now because they've signed a deal through 2036 and it's already aging poorly. And if they expand, they can reopen their deal. Now, that's a heck of a price to pay, but are they willing to pay it? And are we going to be, and this is to PK's point about consolidation, are we going to a point where the Big Ten and the Pac-12, which have always had a partnership through the Rose Bowl, been like-minded academically, you know, are they going to form a Super League? 16 teams, 20 teams. Think of the power that they would have negotiating. And there's still politics, you know, when teams break away and there's two schools in a state, you know, can, can one be left behind? It appear, apparently in Oklahoma that's true, and they, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State have different governance systems, kind of like California does with the University of California and the Cal State system. And Utah doesn't. Right? All the schools kind of bound together here. So something's going to happen, and there's no doubt people are trying to figure this out on paper. Uh, and right now, I would lean towards the Pac-12 not. I haven't had enough time to talk to enough people, but I would lean towards the Pac-12. I just don't think the money and the academics line up that they're going to want to expand. But we'll see how teams make themselves available and schools make themselves available. So that's one huge story this morning. The other is the U.S. basketball team. For all the talk about, hey, they were just tune-up games, well, now they've lost an Olympic game. And they didn't perform in the clutch. They weren't. They weren't outclassed. They weren't drilled. But in the clutch, they got beat bad. 16-2 to run to close the game for France. France has been together. France doesn't have three guys flying in from the NBA Finals who are gassed. France has guys who've played together. I, I don't even know how long Gobert and Batum have been playing together. Uh, for a good long while. Uh, two Olympic cycles. Three, maybe? I don't, you know. And then you get these world championship tournaments. There have been a lot of summers playing together. And the U.S. is missing that. Some of what's happening now can be written off to, uh, there are a lot of guys with injuries who didn't want to play, and 
LeBron didn't want to play. Donovan Mitchell didn't want to play. Steph Curry didn't want to play. Chris Paul didn't want to play. And whether they're bouncing back from injuries or they're worried about having injuries uh, going forward, Chris Paul has a history of injuries. He doesn't have a major injury now, but his body's going to need some downtime if he's going to make a run at a title next year. So I get why he doesn't want to play. But the U.S. is just missing a lot of talent. There's no way around that. So for this next cycle, can they, assuming the NBA gets back on its traditional calendar, the commissioner says he wants to do that, and they're going to be trying to do that in this upcoming season, there might be one more season impacted. I'm not 100% clear on whether they're going to play 82 games or not. I think they're going to, but I'm not positive. They may not. But they're getting back on that schedule. They don't want to be playing a, the, the finals in July. There just aren't enough people in front of the television in July. There's a number that doesn't get talked about in the ratings, but it's homes using television. And they know how many TVs are on at any one time. And people are vacationing now. They, people are traveling. And presumably, they're going to be traveling more next summer than this summer. Presumably. By the way, if you didn't see it on Twitter yesterday, David Locke has a travel horror story. And the next time we have him on... Uh, we'll see if we can get him to share that. But uh, you, can, you can check his Twitter feed for his family getting split up on a flight. And they decided the daughter can't fly nonstop. She's got to go on her own. And she's still a minor. She's got to go on her own and change planes, which I've met his daughter. She can probably negotiate. But it's still, it's, it's not what you paid for. The fact that she could pull this off doesn't mean that someone should have to pull this off. See if we get Locke incensed or if he's calmed down. When he tweeted at Delta, I was pretty sure he was furious. And, you know, the cool thing about David is, like, you see him get mad. I've seen him get mad plenty of times. But he doesn't get really mad very often. You know, there's a difference between, you know, upset and angry and furious. And I'm trying to get context from, you know, words on a screen, which isn't the best. You know, you want to hear the sound in somebody's voice or, or see their body language as they're speaking. You get a better handle on that. But I was getting the feeling he was furious reading that tweet. And anyone who's had a travel story, once upon a time, an airline tried to split up uh, my son from my wife and I. We didn't, there were just the three of us at that point. We hadn't had the second kid. And, uh, and my, my wife had to, when she gets really calm, that's when you know she's really mad. Like, oh, man, the needle swung back the other way, and that's not a good sign for you. Yeah, they're trying to get our 18-month-old kid to uh, fly uh, 15 rows in front of us on an airplane. (laughs) Okay, well, you call up the other people and tell them that they're going to be with an infant in a row without a parent and that we're going to be back, a third of the way back on the plane, because I want to see the look on their face. Man, I hope they're not frequent flyers. I hope they don't have your your double gold slash black platinum, uh, you know, 10 million mile frequent flyer card because they're going to be furious. All right, other stuff. Uh, Arizona State, it's under the radar here. Tight ends coach Adam Brenneman is on paid administrative lead. NCAA investigation of possible recruiting violations. They move pretty slow on Arizona basketball, but Arizona State football, they seem to be moving a little more quickly here. First of multiple coaches, where is this going? Are they going to get coordinators? The head coach caught up in this. What is going to happen and at what rate? Honestly, from what I'd read and heard, I was in, I'm a little surprised that in July we've already got somebody on administrative lead. I thought the way this was trending, this would be uh, you know, back half of the college football season or maybe even after the season. And after watching some of the basketball where there were FBI wiretaps take multiple years to play out, I'm a little surprised by this, but... 
Major League Baseball, phenomenal by the Red Sox. Getting no hit for seven innings, down 4 nothing. the Yankees, and then they score five times in the eighth and win the game. Talk about flipping a game on its head in a heartbeat. That was amazing. All right, your feedback coming up next, DJ and PK. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Time for your feedback. we got two questions today. Rudy Gobert and France beat the U.S. in the Olympic opener for both teams. A reaction. Little Hacksaw Hamilton. Reaction. Point Loma. Escondido. Poway. I want to hear from you. Spanish Fork. Brigham City. Magna. Lines are open. I don't know how long I could do that. I couldn't do it for a show. I don't even think I could do it for a segment. But it's hilarious to do it once in a while. If you grew up with Hacksaw, and he was in Phoenix in San Diego, so... Well, in the San Diego station, had the signal into L.A., so those were the glory days. Stewart, Rudy Gobert in France beat the USA in the Olympic opener for both teams' reaction. Stewart says, frankly, not shocked at all. Stewart saw the roster. Stewart saw the two losses in the tune-up games. Stewart looked at France's roster and thought, yeah, this could be happening. Dustin, the best bad golfer at Highlights Ute, Says, that was yesterday, David. We've moved on. That sounds pretty dismissive, Dustin. But today's the one day I could buy it because that Oklahoma-Texas news this morning where basically they sent an announcement and said, yeah, we're doing this. That's not exactly how it was phrased, (laughs) but that's what they meant. So what should the conference do now? A PK came on with us earlier this morning and said, hey, be careful. Don't expand. The big dogs are driving this. More people at the kids' table. Maybe not a positive. Jared says merge with the Big 12 after Texas and Oklahoma leave. Jared, I don't think this is the direction this is going. What about some combination with the Big 10? They've always been aligned athletically in the Rose Bowl. And they've been largely aligned American Association of Universities, research schools, all of that. And I know a lot of you shrug your shoulders and roll your eyes. Especially BYU fans. But some you Nagy fans, too. Like, we're just here for the games. I mean, go research whatever you want. Make whatever money you want. We're here for the games. Okay? But presidents and regents don't think that way. They don't. Who are the real power players. And they are the power players. The ADs do the homework. But the decisions... Is the president or the chancellor. Right. Depending on the school, the AD may have some level of input. And that's best case scenario. So, will the Big Ten cherry pick a few Pac-12 schools? And if so, how many? Or do they just do a mega conference to eight or ten team divisions? Have a 20-team league. You're essentially two separate conferences, and, and um, Jackie Sherrill said this a long time ago, 20-team leagues, two 10-team divisions. Athletically, you're pretty much separate divisions and conferences. You're, you're on your own. But financially, you're 20 teams with a tremendous amount of leverage negotiating with the networks. Some version of the Big Ten anchored by Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State and the seven teams they handpick. And 10 of the 12 out here. Now, maybe it doesn't work out that way. There's lots of permutations you can go through. 
But how does the Big Ten keep up with the SEC? That's pretty much the only way. I don't see many options. You're incredibly value valuable because you're playing in every TV window. And whatever happens with the Big Ten and the Pac-12, I suspect it involves USC and the Los Angeles market because everyone is pretty good at the basic math. Rob says, what would Larry do? Answer that and do the opposite. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's gone. That was funny, but maybe we could stop making fun of him. No, he deserves to be ridiculed. Nope, he's sitting on millions. Never mind. If he were a thousandaire, <laughs> yeah, but we'd as, let it go. As we are fond of saying on this show, there are no losers in sports. No losers in professional sports. And I know and, it's a collegiate game. Yeah, but, but when you're getting paid like a commissioner, especially like he was getting it's, paid. Well, it's a profession yeah. to do what he does. So, Dave says curl up in the fetal position. It's what they do best. If I click on Dave's profile here, is it going to have a is it going to have a BYU logo? Uh, probably. Go ahead. Bingo! There we go. <laughs> Lives in Provo, Utah. Curl up in the fetal position. Brady says the SEC's already adding teams, dot, 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 dot. Todd wants him to bring over some Big 12 teams. I just don't see the good fits. The research institutions delivering a lot of fans with a good football program. That's who everybody's looking for. That's what the SEC is getting in Texas. Okay, in Oklahoma, maybe a little down on the whole academics research thing. So what, Oklahoma State and Texas Tech? Yay, Stillwater. Yay, Lubbock. Okay, but people in Tulsa and Oklahoma City are going to watch maybe Oklahoma State. No, they are. I mean, they're, they they're, they're going to watch. They might be rooting against them or laughing at them, but they'll watch. But it isn't, it isn't a home run. It's a single or a double. And the way it's going, if you're in conference realignment, you only got so many spots, do you need to hit singles or do you need to hit home runs? Turns out, baseball isn't the only thing that's all about launch angle. And if you're trying to keep up with the SEC, because ultimately they're going to have the most money and they're going to hire the best coaches. And if they are a bad coach and you hire a good coach, they're going to fire their coach, they're going to pay them off, and they're going to hire your coach. And that is what frightens everybody. Because in college, the coaches are also the general managers. And they're worth the money. Look at Alabama before Nick Saban and look at him after. Look at the tra- trajectory Utah has been on with the McBride hire, with the Urban Meyer hire, with the Kyle Whittingham hire. And you can argue all three of those are different, and I would agree they are, but the trajectory for all three was up. Mac was a little more up and down than the other two. The other two were steadier. But they took some big bounces under Mac. Urban was shorter than the other two, but my gosh, it was straight up. I was going to say. Kyle's been a combination of the two. He's had Mac's longevity, and he's been steadier, more consistent. You know what you're getting. Right. But the fact is, over 30 years, where's it gone? It's gone up. Big time. You can't compare what the Utes are now with what they were 30 years ago. But as I just saw someone post on Twitter, there's probably about 40 teams in college football that have nothing to worry about. Now, the Utes aren't out, but they're not in that group of 40 with nothing to worry about. 
We'll leave it there. Hans and Scotty are coming up next. They'll have more on conference realignment, Pac-12 Media Day tomorrow. That ought to be interesting. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.